0: Greetings, everyone, uh, and welcome to the spooky stacks. Uh, spooky. I am of course Jay, the crypt keeper, or something. I don't know.
1: And I am <laughs> Shannon. I I I have been trying all month to come up with something Halloweeny for my name. Uh, and it's. it's it doesn't work. I got so many other puns for my name, like shenanaphone, um, uh, shenanigans, but nothing Halloween. I got nothing.
0: Well, and also it's, it's we're, we're looking for more of a title, I suppose, here anyways. N- not, yeah, not so much well, something that's, that's part of the name as uh, a title associated the, with the name. Because a cryptkeeper has nothing to do with my name, for instance. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, that's true.
0: Anyway, this week uh, we're first discussing the classic John Carpenter film *They Live*, sort of the end of his legendary run, basically, because his next one is uh, the Chevy Chase *Invisible Man* movie, and it's not as great. <laughs> really,
1: Chevy? Something Chevy Chase touches isn't gold.
0: Uh, I saw it in theater as a kid and I have literally never seen it again, so I'm curious. But uh, word on the street is that it's very bad, it's his worst movie, <laughs> so I guess we'll see. Uh, sort of I like might a skip t- that one, yeah, you may. <laughs> uh, I won't, you know how it is. But this particular one, uh, they live 1988, I believe, I think that's right, either 88 or 89. It's sort of like John Carpenter's Reptilians.
1: And I thought Squid Game was unsubtle in its anti-capitalist message. <laughs> yeah. This
0: uh, is th- like Subtlety's right overrated. there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say that, yeah, subtlety is totally overrated. And it, it is unsubtle because it's kind of necessarily an unsubtle message. Uh, But it does seem like it's a message that sort of has been co-opted by people in some bad ways. Uh, So I kind of feel like we should sort of address that up at the top. This movie is anti-capitalist. It's not (laughs) anti-Semitic. There there are certainly people who take that from it, and uh, those people are a problem. Uh, But that is not... That's definite. Like this is very unequivocally an anti-capitalist movie in in some really interesting ways. Obviously, it is a commercial product and a big '80s blockbuster starring a pro wrestler, but nevertheless, it, it has a distinct message. Yeah,
1: that's so. That's an interesting thing actually uh, that you're mentioning about the pro wrestler. The anti-capitalist message is loud and clear. But I've already been so in a movie where that's uh, about corporate brainwashing through advertising and media. I've been so brainwashed that I can't separate Rowdy from the actor's name. That's how powerful branding is. And I'm watching a movie about it. I know it's happening and I still can't do it.
0: Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I grew up in the era of Rowdy Roddy Piper. I mean, that's the first wrestling I ever saw as a kid. Uh, but I mean, it 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 is just a strange name, and and the rowdy part is weird. It's it's the piper part is his real name, and that's why he's a bagpiper, but like, and why why he's Scottish, but he's not. He's Canadian. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he he looks Canadian.
0: Yeah, I think he
1: really looks like a Canadian.
0: I'm pretty sure he's from Saskatchewan.
1: I Uh, I wouldn't doubt it.
0: Yeah. Uh but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a whole weird title. Uh the, the rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh but I think he's pretty good. Like just overall oh, yeah. in this movie, he's he's very good as an everyman. He's not he's not a Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he's he's so yeah, much more he's, charming, he's got personality.
1: I, I feel like I feel like he was probably tempted to cast Kurt Russell in this, but because it seems like a very similar kind of to a Kurt Russell role in some of his other movies.
0: Yeah. I like I've often, the the first few times I watched this movie, it really felt to me like it was meant for Kurt Russell and he just sort of ended up not being available at the time. And I'm not sure what the case is with that. Like I know he had wanted to work with Roddy specifically because he'd met him at a WrestleMania. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um,
1: I think I think Roddy is better for the role than uh, than Russell would be, anyways.
0: Yeah, but, yeah. I, I, it, it. Uh, he feels closer down to earth. Uh, even though Kurt Russell is, as an actor, very uh, good at sort of subverting the image and uh, undermining himself as a movie star, uh. He doesn't feel like he could be just a guy who works at a construction site the way Roddy does.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's not every man enough.
0: Yeah. Uh, So we open with the title, uh, Graffitied on a Train Tunnel, which I think is a nice uh, opening touch where uh, Roddy comes into town into, I think, Chicago is where this is set. Uh,
1: I think it's LA. He was.
0: Oh, you're right. No. uh, It's it's absolutely LA. LA, of course. Yeah, uh, and and he he's riding the rails, uh, and uh, he, it's interesting to have, as at the outset, that this is an unhoused protagonist, also yep. pretty uncommon, especially the '80s big corporate blockbuster era.
1: Yeah, yeah, this this guy is homeless. He's a drifter. We actually don't even learn his name.
0: Uh, his name is Nada. You know, like N A D A.
1: Are we sure? Because I feel like... So, <laughs> sorry, is. I know it says that in the credits, but I'm just thinking, is that... I specifically remember not being told his name and wondering if that's, like, a nickname. Like, does he have a name? Nada.
0: Yeah, I mean, possibly. Uh, and he is just supposed to be man. I mean, that that's a, a sort of thing with Carpenter, is he likes the real archetypal character names. You know, like... Uh, Michael Myers is called Michael Myers, but he's just credited as The Shape, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, like, another thing that's also sort of an interesting off-model aspect is, even though this is a Carpenter synth score, it's kind of bluesy. Like, it's much more of a blues score than it is a a typical synthy, like, synth wave, the, the horror synth type stuff he normally does.
1: Yeah, like, um, but, like, synth blues. Yeah. Not not like, uh, like yeah, it's uh, it's
0: definitely the same sort of instrumentation but with a bluesy flavor
1: to it. hmm Like I really like uh the bass line uh, of the opening and the plays of the menu that like, like mm-hmm. and I'm like this doesn't feel like Carpenter, but it also does
0: yeah, it's a little bit off model. And it's interesting because it's where he's sort of coming back to doing scores after a couple years of not I think cuz like Prince of Darkness. No, I guess he did do Prince of Darkness. Uh it was the ones before that that he didn't do. Uh, Starman and Thing. Uh but yeah, I guess he was just getting bored, wanted to do something a little bit different.
1: It suits it, it suits
0: does, the characters it it definitely suits the characters and and like I said like the the previous one also uh had a large like homeless population uh central to the movie, but in that one, there are villains in this one, obviously, they're like it, it's sort of the basis for the heroes because uh necessarily as approaching people who are uh going against the capitalist system it makes sense to go with people who are outside of it or kind of forced outside of it
1: or who lost everything because of it
0: yeah it's sort of a a combination of all of those things and of course then uh at near the end one of the people that we meet there has you know become a class trader and not just a class trader but like a humanity trader uh and sold out and just become corporate okay uh,
1: so i was wondering who that guy was because i'm like oh shit i don't know who that guy is well, I'll, I'll bring him up,
0: up when when we get to the part where he turns up he, he's just one of the people in the encampment basically it's a uh, george buck flower real classic guy who just shows up in everything he's nice uh so where we start uh roddy goes to an unemployment agency. Like, he, he goes straight to the unemployment agency when he gets off the railroad. Uh, and he explains how he lost his job due to an economic downturn. But of course, and, they go ahead.
1: And Lunch Lady Doris does not care. She's just like, mm, yeah.
0: We've game. got nothing for Yes, <laughs> wait, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: it's, it, I just immediately thought of Lunch Lady Doris.
0: Got that kind of vibe. Uh, it could honestly be her because they're
1: Actually, yeah.
0: Doris was in a bunch of stuff around this time. I, I don't know if she did a lot of on camera work. She definitely did a lot of voice work because she's also on The Critic. Like she's a regular on there. She's one of the main characters.
1: I, I had heard actually. I heard the that she started as a cafeteria person, and that's how they found her.
0: I think so. So you know, very possible. <laughs> yeah. So he goes outside and he sees a street preacher uh, played by Raymond St. Jacques, who's also pretty classic actors and a whole bunch of great seventies stuff. Uh, and the street preacher is talking about like, what, what exactly, how how would we characterize this? It sounds like a lunatic conspiracy theory, but of course it is the truth behind the movie, obviously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's that, it's that whole thing. um it, it's, the reptilian it's basically the reptilians are controlling your brain
0: yeah that's what he's and, saying yeah he he's mainly talking about the broadcasting and and the mind control uh without really referring to aliens or like hidden beings inside
1: yeah yeah just that you're being brainwashed by your televisions right and all that
0: uh and immediately a bunch of police show up <laughs> And kind of just like mob him and and like make him leave, Uh, which which is pretty interesting. And like in the context of the movie, of course, it's the reptilians or whatever, the aliens keeping their (laughs) keeping their peace. But like in reality, this happens, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, The the capitalists and their enforcers, you know.
1: Like, I just, that's that's the thing. A lot of the stuff that's meant to be shocking in this movie, that's like, oh my god, I can't believe the evil cops are doing that. It just, it's not shocking. They, they do it. Well,
0: yeah, and I think that's sort of the point as well, is that it's putting just a rationale behind it, but in reality, we don't have the rationale, we're just doing it. It's like, why yeah. are we doing this to each other? Uh, like, in particular, and I would say easily the most upsetting thing in the movie is uh, the the breaking up of the encampment later on. And it's just so real. It's just such an authentic thing. And it feels like, yeah, that's exactly how those things are done. That's exactly how uh, the police do that uh, and it has nothing to do with aliens for us so why are we doing it right and and that's yeah. sort of the whole point of this movie why are we acting like this if we don't have alien overlords forcing us to <laughs> well
1: we we do but they're not aliens
0: <laughs> they're republicans <laughs> but yeah so I, I really like sort of the transition here we see roddy next to a trash fire watching tv through someone else's window and on the tv there's an actress just sort of moaning on and on about the travails of just being extremely famous and how hard it is it's like wow (laughs) like the the movie just gets into it so fast
1: yep and it's it's not it's so not subtle, but it needs to be not subtle because it still got misinterpreted. Matrix Whoa. 4 is going to have to just be Morpheus uh, with an overhead projector saying, all right, Neo, the red pills are estrogen.
0: <laughs> like They, they should have uh, had uh, Al Gore do like a slideshow presentation after the movie or something. <laughs> yeah. But like, I I guess that's the thing is that it's so unsubtle, but it's also not exaggerated. Like, it's still basically just depicting reality and then adding aliens. So it's weird.
1: Yeah, it it's almost like it makes more sense than reality.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that's the allure of a conspiracy theory. I mean, that that's why there are oh all my the God. crazy people who are so attracted to them. That's what makes them attractive. It explains things that can't be explained cuz you know human behavior is just hard to explain but you know that that's the way it is not everything is explicable we should just try to do better <laughs> i don't know
1: I, I just had a whoa moment when you when you said that when you said that that's why people are go- into all these conspiracy theories and i'm just like i get it now
0: yeah i you know that's that's basically what it is yeah um <laughs> so so where we pick out like the 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 important thing here is that Roddy just kind of goes to a job site. You know, he went to an employment agency, they had nothing for him. So he just goes to a workplace uh and he's like, "Look, I I need a job. You know, I'll work hard." He he looks around and obviously there's tons of people not working because it's just uh, and there's there's some union criticism here.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: Cause uh, like unions are are good. Unions are unions
1: imp- are good, but
0: but uh, unions are good,
1: but they can't. There are such things as corrupted unions.
0: Yeah, I mean there are such things as police unions. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the lore to uh, regular unions data, but I I guess very importantly at the job site he meets Keith David, uh, who plays Frank. Uh, and is sort of the co-lead of this film. Yeah, and,
1: is kind of his best friend, but they never really like each other. Yeah, I mean,
0: I feel that they're just, or or especially from Frank or Keith David's perspective, it's just he's always going to help out another working man, yeah, and yeah, just he's he's got to be there for another working man and even if he doesn't really like the guy he's he sees that he's genuine so even when like he seems to go crazy and murder a bunch of people later he's still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt sort of sort of only a little bit but like he's still gonna give him his money that he is that he earned by doing his work right
1: (laughs) right yeah exactly
0: and the boss is a dick to him or to roddy Especially, like, at the end of the day, it's like, you can't sleep here, can't stay on this site. and it's Like, yeah, you know, great. Was, wasn't planning on it, but that's cool. Uh, and Frank offers, well, he doesn't really offer him a place to stay, but, like, he takes him to somewhere where they can stay.
1: Yeah, the, the nicest homeless encampment I've ever seen.
0: It's quite elaborate. Uh, it it yeah. feels like something out of like a 30s or 40s Hoover town. You know, the, the, the Great Depression, like really developed encampments. There's yeah. electricity.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I was wondering, like, I can't believe the police haven't come out in full force with uh, tanks and stuff to destroy it. I only had to wait about two scenes.
0: Right. Uh, and we get a bit of backstory. For Frank, uh, he had a wife and kids in Detroit. He hasn't seen them in six months. He kind of had to leave when the steel mills all shut down. So, like th- that—that's also an interesting background to sort of what's happening in America when this movie is being made. Is this is the period when everything's shutting down? All of the factories are moving to you know other countries. It's the big Reaganomics push. <laughs>
1: Yeah, is is is
0: Reagan the president at this time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is a strongly anti-Reagan movie, and I there there is a scene where Reagan is an alien, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) or or someone who is clearly supposed to be representative of him. Uh, I'll I'll point to that when we get to that. Uh, So Frank has his golden rule: he who has the gold makes the rules, and he's sort of preaching revolution. Like, Frank is, it's weird because he wants to keep his head down and he doesn't want to get involved. But he's also like, we need a revolution because nothing's working and uh, the, the system is broken.
1: We need a revolution, but I'm not going to be the one who starts it.
0: I, yeah. I and And I feel like that's kind of sort of a legitimate point in the movie as well. That, you know, he does feel that it's needed, but he's just not... Ready to take the step, and it takes so much to get him to that <laughs> point. And very specifically, you know, the scene—it
1: mm-hmm. it takes it, it ta- so much to get hard. somewhere to get there. Yeah, it is hard. It's like I won't be woke. I will not be woke. Yeah, Do not exactly. wake me.
0: <laughs> no, I can't put on those sunglasses. I'm like, no, I can't take that pill. Yeah, it's it's all the same. Um. And Roddy at this time is also just like not at all interested in that. Like he, he wants to be patient. He's like, I believe in America. I follow the rules. Everyone's got their <laughs> own hard yeah. times these days. It's it's a real white guy philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh it's it's middle class. It's it's uh well not not exactly middle class, it's just you know, it, it's the Republican Party through line, right? It's the, you know, you just got to follow the rules. So, well, I mean, you know, if you don't want to get shot by cops, you just need to not break any laws.
1: Just like, That's not how it
0: works, right? <laughs> that's a, you know, a different problem. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But no, you, you'll you get your chance because if you just work hard enough, you'll you'll be a millionaire just yeah, by that's working a, hard.
0: Right. You know, you just work hard. That That's yeah. obviously been working yeah Uh, so there's a couple (laughs)
1: reproduce (laughs) anyways
0: (laughs) there's a couple dudes watching a tv uh and one of these dudes is the guy we see later uh, george buck flower he's one of the dudes watching there's like a press on nails commercial initially and then it's interrupted by a broadcast uh, about how the humans are being controlled
1: oh yeah that yes the hacker who's like managed to hack all the TV stations or even just the one TV station.
0: I think it's just the one. Uh, this one's a common thing as well in the 80s. Uh, people cutting into broadcasts like pirate radio people and just like breaking into a broadcast and, you know, just briefly being able to take over the signal. There's a whole bunch oh, of these.
1: You could do that.
0: Oh, yeah. There's a really famous one uh, that's never been tracked down. They They still don't know who it was. Uh, but it's a guy who, like, broke into some affiliate station wearing a uh, Max Headroom costume, just talking a bunch of nonsense. It's great. Really interesting. Did
1: I know it would be something to do with Max Headroom?
0: <laughs> it's just the perfect avatar for it. It really is. <laughs> uh, I really like uh, the the broadcaster's uh, various uh, statements here. So I, I wrote down a few of these. We got, the poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. Uh, we've been lulled into a trance. We're focused only on our own gain, and they want to keep us asleep and keep us selfish.
1: Yeah, and these—that uh, sounds right. That sounds yeah. Right. And th- these sound
0: like campaign commercials, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they sort of sound like uh, uh, campaign slogans and statements. It's you no, know, we're—it's the same arguments. Uh, well, and for
1: me, the third party and I will actually make a difference and it won't be throwing your vote away at all. This is what the other parties are doing. But
0: yeah, I mean, he's a third party, basically. Yeah, he, Basically, he has no power whatsoever. He has no way to change the system, but he knows how the system needs to be changed and why. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe and he's that's got better. about
1: 40 people who agree with him.
0: Yeah. That should uh, be enough, right? Right. You you would hope. I mean, being right, you would hope is enough, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) So Roddy is pretty perceptive. He notices that there's something going on in the church nearby and it's going on all night. And the next morning we we get in like another scene with like the broadcast cut in guy. uh, And he's talking about how the signal needs to be broken at its source, uh, but they don't really know how to find the source and they don't know what it is or how to destroy it and when he's talking about this someone comes out of the church a guy named gilbert that will kind of turn up a few times later and he's in just a whole bunch of john carpenter movies
1: yeah i thought i'd seen him before
0: yeah he's definitely in prince of darkness uh and i think he's in most of them after this maybe all of them after this uh, like he's he's like best friends with john carpenter uh and th- this dude comes out of the church and he checks on the tv broadcast and when it gets like when when the their broadcast you know he's one of the guys broadcasting uh when their broadcast gets overridden again uh he goes right back to the church so Roddy, like Pretty immediately clues in that there's a relation between the two, and he mm-hmm. follows him to the church.
1: Yeah, so he just goes. He gets in, he gets in so easily.
0: Yeah, I mean, like they they don't have a lot of security. There's just so few of them.
1: I. And and they're planning like this big operation, and and it's like guys, you're getting way ahead of yourselves. You're getting way ahead of yourselves here.
0: Yeah, it's true, although they do have certain amounts of technology. Like, we don't know about them yet, but obviously the sunglasses had to have been some sort of special development that they'd been working on for some time. Actually,
1: yeah, we never find out how they invented the sunglasses.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, they must have a whole network, but they're all very isolated, and they're kind of necessarily working in these non-public groups like they're very off the grid like necessarily off the grid
1: uh, i'm going to assume that they figured out the sunglasses because millions of boffins died
0: <laughs> i guess so uh <laughs> yeah, that's all we need a, a lot of people did have to die for the secret
1: oh definitely There, there's no way that that happened without people dying
0: yeah uh so obviously the broadcasts are being sent from the church uh, and what they're doing here, what they're discussing when Roddy comes in to eavesdrop on them is they're trying to figure out how to stay on the air longer to get the message out. Uh, and they don't really ever figure that out, obviously. <laughs> they, what they no. need to do is just destroy the the transmitter. But the, the preacher discovers him, uh, Raymond St. Jacques from earlier, uh, but he's blind, so. He doesn't know who he is. He touches his hands just to confirm that he's a working man. Which I thought was a really interesting touch.
1: Yeah, that that I thought was cool. And and then he, he's like, let me touch your face. And then Roddy just lets him, which yeah. I also thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the preacher, he doesn't get to do a lot. But what I did find interesting is during one of the... Uh, uh, the broadcast hacking scenes, he's mouthing along to what the guy is saying on the TV.
0: Yeah, like I, can't, cuts to I, him. I feel like he probably wrote it, because it does seem very much uh, in the same style as how he was preaching.
1: Oh, you know what? Yeah, he could. that could be. Uh, I just thought it was a really neat touch.
0: It's cool, yeah. Uh, and at this point, also, a helicopter starts circling above, uh, which... Is uh, a bad sign Although that's also a real common sign In LA probably in the late 80s A lot of police helicopters <laughs> That's kind yeah, of when they At that they point,
1: started I, I just figured mm, Yep helicopter Doesn't right. mean they suspect them Just means, just means it's a helicopter
0: Right uh, and But they do suspect them Oh they do suspect them They're, they're on at, Oh yeah and so, like, Roddy's sort of outside kind of spying on the church, and he tells Frank what he's talking about, and Frank's like, I don't want to listen. I don't want to get involved. He, he doesn't want doesn't to get involved on either side. He's just not interested. He's just keeping his head down, and he's doing his work, and it's really going well for him. It's great. He's, yeah. uh, he's living great, in this camp. <laughs>
1: got a great tent. Uh,
0: uh, he's, he's got a job.
1: He's got a family. <laughs> somewhere
0: he has not seen them in six months but you know he's
1: he's got a good thing going on right yeah
0: i mean john list will tell you you got to make the money that's the most important thing that's the only thing that matters oh jesus (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk about him a little bit later i watched a movie about him the other night
1: oh no (laughs) (laughs) okay uh
0: but, but yeah i mean it's it's this whole thing where he he is very much the person or the he he's representative of the working men who needs to be revolutionized, like even though he already believes in it, even though he already is sort of there emotionally, he just can't make himself get involved because he doesn't have the energy. You know, he, he's burnt out from working all the time. And there's I don't just know what that feels like, <laughs> right? And also, like he's just he he knows that there's not a lot that he can personally do. Yeah, you
1: know? that's the thing. It's like he's just he's just one man,
0: right? But there's so many people who are just one man, right? This is
1: also kind of the point.
0: Kind of the point here as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there there are also people working against them, but you know. I'll, I don't know you, you gotta have a lot of people On both sides to uh, Represent reality
1: It's almost as if they've uh, Somehow convinced us that We can't do anything on our own
0: Yeah, it, it's it's like uh, Political paralysis is Sort of a whole feature Rather than a bug uh, mm. in, in terms of what they're going for uh, And of course here A helicopter shows up that night uh, and immediately everyone flees the church when the helicopter turns up that night. Like they, they know. Pretty yep. immediately. Like, oh shit, it's going down. And
1: uh, here's where the police come out in full force to destroy this homeless camp. They've even rented it. Bulldozers, uh, bulldozers.
0: Bulldozer. Yeah. It's brutal. Like it, it is quite horrifying and just banal. It, it's it's the banality of, of evil. It's just so Real. It it's so much like what really happens and it's so shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh and it's like a, a large not group extreme of extreme at all. No, it's it's sadly not at all extreme. Uh and also a bunch of cops corner and are assaulting the preacher and one of the other people from the church and presumably kill them because I don't think we ever see either of them again.
1: No, we don't, do we? Uh
0: I like If they arrested them, I don't know what they arrested them for, but, you know, maybe vagrancy. But most likely I would assume they killed them because I think we hear a gunshot as Roddy's uh, running away because he's running down the alley past them. But then, of course, it gets blocked by more cops. (laughs) He finds a young boy. They escape into a different building.
1: It's almost like um, the reverse assault on Precinct 13.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just like, just need to get away, just got to get out. And there's just a horde of cops coming from every direction, from absolutely everywhere, faceless, mindless, uh, mm-hmm. creating violence. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, John Carpenter kind of had that in mind in the first place as well. Maybe. Uh, And so, like, he spends the night in some abandoned building nearby. There's a stoned dude. <laughs> in the room, like he gets uh, a a couple or there, there's like a, a married couple who are there as well and they seem to take in the boy. Uh and interestingly the next morning when they're picking through the wreckage of the camp, uh one thing is left standing. The television is still standing, still playing, still on, still oh, I didn't
1: notice that. Yeah. Oh jeez. Uh, just yeah,
0: commercials of and Of course.
1: Shit. Well, I mean you need the TV to still be there because if anyone else wanders into that park, you still gotta brainwash them.
0: They still need to obey. Yeah. Uh so Roddy goes into the church and he had fa- I think he found the hidden wall the previous night, like he'd located it but not opened it. Like he just found that there was a hollow wall.
1: Yeah, yeah, he did. And he just put it back.
0: Yeah, so he opens up and he finds a box. And uh takes the box and it turns out to just be a box of sunglasses. <laughs>
1: yep. Just just a box of sunglasses, uh movie IMAX 3D glasses, it looks like.
0: They look a yeah. lot like those. And and he looks so puzzled by it at first. It's a really excellent reaction. He's like Yeah. Huh. <laughs> like <laughs> just what and why possibly it just seems so useless So he takes one pair and just he puts the rest of them in a trash can and just like hides them under some trash uh but then he puts them on and sees in black and white and uh hmm, this is such an amazing sequence like the way they did it is so simple and so effective they just you know redressed all of the sets and like shot it in black and white but it's so perfect (laughs)
1: it's so good um the uh it, i i had actually seen clips of this before somewhere and just assumed it was from a 1950s schlock horror
0: oh yeah i mean like cause... it really does mimic that aesthetic mm-hmm. and the aliens as well do have sort of that look of you know classic 50s aliens
1: the terrible rubber masks i love them <laughs>
0: So we got the big billboards that say obey or marry and reproduce, consume, consume on on the closeout sale sign. Uh, there's no independent thoughts.
1: <laughs> Dollar bills are just slips of paper that say this is your god.
0: So good. Uh, I, and there's just a great shot where he just looks down the street and just every single ad or sign is one of these messages. Like, absolutely every single one. Yep. And what's even better, he walks past a newsstand and every single magazine cover and every page of every magazine is all just, you know, follow, no ideas, stay asleep. (laughs) Yep. Uh, And also at the newsstand, he sees the first alien. They're kind of, like, skull-faced. They have big bulgy eyes. And it's just an old white guy in a suit, of course. Uh and he's weirded out by Roddy staring at him.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, he's like He's like, "What's your problem?" And Roddy's just like
0: he just really can't ugly. stop staring. <laughs> <laughs> uh the I I also like that the 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 crosswalk speaker broadcasts sleep, sleep, sleep. <laughs> It's it's yeah. cute. I don't exactly know how that one works with the sunglasses, because <laughs> uh, oh yeah, you know uh. it's it's audio. But I I would have to assume that like we know that the I I think the the purpose is that these sunglasses block a broadcasting signal, uh, and maybe it just completely blocks it out of your brain by having them over your eyes like as as long as you've got it on your head I don't know yeah. a, I didn't yeah, really think about it, it. <laughs> uh, he walks by a beauty parlor and sees a couple aliens in there talking with people there's an, a rich alien lady filling a car trunk with just bags and bags of stuff she's purchased being carried by her two human servants yeah. but that was interesting <laughs> Uh, He goes into a supermarket, all of the product packaging, uh, absolutely everything has the messages on it. And most of the customers in the place are aliens, which was interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: And I guess it's because it's the middle of the day. The the aliens don't have as much to do as, you know, all of the people during the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. so
1: So not subtle.
0: Uh, and it, so one of them Is giving a pep talk to a human About you know going out And getting the promotion And so that's easy for you to say You got the promotion I was like well yeah he got the promotion Because he's an alien <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, This is the part where there's I think the Reagan alien Because there's a politician on TV And he's talking about Mourning in America Which is a big Reagan phrase so if he's not Reagan he's clearly supposed to be representative of him and he is totally an alien here so we don't see what the guy is supposed to actually look like uh, I, I think definitely supposed to be although <laughs> much later when we see aliens of a couple other famous people they are kind of recognizable a little bit <laughs> at least by their clothing yeah there is, so Finally a rich old alien lady Bumps into Roddy And he he finally can't take it anymore And he says her head looks Like it fell in cheese dip in 1957 was <laughs> 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 a funny line
1: He's uh, got some good ones in this He's
0: got a lot of great one-liners And I, I think that's something he brought to the movie as well Because one-liners aren't really a John Carpenter thing But like you know, Roddy wrote loads of these because you know he—he's a wrestler. He wrote them for wrestling promos.
1: <laughs> Another reason why he was a good choice for this.
0: Totally. Uh And uh, some guy says like, "Oh, hey, hey, you know, uh, let, let's uh, let's simmer down." He's like, "You, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so the alien starts talking into her watch. He's like, I've got one that can see. Uh, and just all of the aliens in the store start converging on him, speaking into expensive watches. Uh, I really like the expensive watch as a sort of signifier as who is an alien or a traitor.
1: <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's the kind of thing that you only get if you have excess. Nobody needs an expensive watch.
0: Yeah, no one needs, like, a big expensive gold watch. Like, some people get it as a retirement gift, you know, when they work somewhere for 60 years, but, you know, that's different.
1: (laughs) You don't have one of those unless you got money to spend.
0: Yeah, I I thought that was a really clever one, a really clever symbolic choice, uh, just in that you know, it it is just a a perfect luxury item, and like even more so with time, because people just don't even have watches these days. Yeah, who yeah. needs a watch? Everyone's got a phone.
1: Well, now you got the Apple watches too, which right? I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. Now people we're at the luxury. point where I'm old enough. <laughs> I, I this is the point where I'm old enough, where I'm no longer with it.
0: Yeah. I I have not been with it technologically for a long time because I don't even own a phone, so I can't <laughs> even. Comment. So he leaves the store, and immediately a cop comes at him—an uh, alien cop, of course. Uh, both he and the partner in this case are aliens. I'm like, where'd you get the glasses, Tooth Fairy? <laughs> <laughs> I I do really like that the cops like. Listen, you look as shitty to us as we do to you. (laughs) (laughs) That was a pretty funny line, Um, but like he's wanted to get him to a second location. He's like, let's just go someplace quiet where we can talk this over. And I don't know if he's if they're trying to take him somewhere to off him because I think they really think that they can just buy everybody out.
1: Well, so far they've been able to.
0: Yeah. And like in the scene, like certainly when I was watching it or whenever I'm watching it, really, I'm thinking that it's threatening, like he's going to take him somewhere to kill him. But when much later, you know, some of the developments later on with all of the people who are working with them, I do kind of wonder if they're just planning to throw money at him until he agrees. It's weird.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah, I assumed murder, but it could be that.
0: Yeah. Uh so Roddy clotheslines him, which I thought was so <laughs>
1: great. Yes. Uh, just The the
0: use of wrestling moves are fairly sparing in the movie, but they're always satisfying when he uses them. They're they're actually really well done. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there it's a lot of fun to watch him just like lift somebody up and powerbomb him or
0: do just a running clothesline on a cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, So then he takes the cop's gun, he shoots both of them, and then he takes the shotgun from the front seat of the car. Uh, And then soon more cops are arriving immediately, like there's another cruiser coming around the corner. So this is when he goes into the bank.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And And I'd say this is the most famous scene in the movie other than the big fight.
1: So he says, he says, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum.
0: It's actually all, sorry. It's it's weirdly enough it's the other way around. It's, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. <laughs> oh, really? I always thought it was
1: the other way. Okay. It normally
0: is. This is the it's it's weirdly just this one he has it switched around. Huh. Very strange. It it always throws me cuz it always sounds kind of strange like he's shooting a wrestling promo rather than it it feels like a very different delivery from the rest of his lines.
1: Yeah, but it's awesome.
0: Oh, it's so great. It's iconic. Uh, and he just starts blowing away all of the aliens who happen to be present in the bank. Uh, and this is also when we realize that the watches are also a transporter because one of them reports him in via watch and then turns a dial and vanishes.
1: And here I've got to wonder what uh, what Roddy's long-term plan was. Is he just going to shoot every alien he sees? Because I don't think that's tenable. It
0: really isn't. And I don't think he is thinking. He's just kind of been taken by the moment, and now he's sort of purely reacting. Like, you know, he got cornered by the cops, so he started shooting. And now he's uh, cornered in a bank, so he starts shooting. Uh, hmm. And obviously this is something that's going to just make him look more dangerous and insane. Like, it's not well considered, but, you know, that that's sort of just, it's it's the decisions he's making while he's on the <laughs> run, you know? I guess, I guess. Uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting, or just like a nice a little tiny touch, is on the police car door, where it says to serve and protect, it says obey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course it does
0: Because it's advertising for the police uh, <laughs> uh, So he gets out the back door Of the bank And there's a little UFO With a camera following him Which I guess he's only able to see Because of the glasses as well Because like, there's a few things like that Sometimes there are additional things In the sky that he can see
1: Yeah um, I figured the UFOs well, at first I thought it was the helicopter was the UFO, but then he just shoots it down with one shot, so it was clearly not that. So I guess they're just invisible drones.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Um, and and it's interesting that I guess they're cloaked by the same signal that cloaks all of the aliens, so they're just constantly surveilling people. While he's getting out of there, he runs into a human cop and he disarms him instead of shooting him, and then. In a parking garage, he takes a woman hostage and gets her to drive him out of the area. Uh, And this is Meg Foster as Holly, another important character here.
1: Uh, Yes, she threw me for a loop at first because I thought it's like, is this going to be the love interest that uh, falls in love with him or or what? Because I I didn't think it was going to be that kind of movie, but then it, turns out it's not it's
0: just yeah no it it isn't
1: (laughs) uh she's got they they want us to think that
0: yeah she's got very striking eyes meg foster yes very very unusual very bright uh so he takes her hostage and has him or has her drive him back to her house uh because just police are completely converging on the area we see them uh, showing up all over the place, and she's
1: very calm. All
0: things she's considered. very, very calm about it. And like when he gets out, uh, we we see a shot of like the neighbors reacting and watching. And I don't know if it's that we're supposed to take that they're aliens or that they're just like you know good neighbors <laughs> who are concerned about people. It's hard Is to like, say. She's in a really rich neighborhood. Like, she's living in the Hollywood Hills. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what to make of her as a character in terms of when she's bad. Like, I don't know if at this point... Because, like, spoiler alerts, she does betray them later. Oh, I
1: think she was in their pocket from the beginning.
0: Yeah, I do too. So, like, I kind of wonder if the people that she's seeing or the, like the people who are watching her her neighbors are also aliens and like this is just an alien neighborhood?
1: Oh probably. I mean or rich neighborhood in the Hollywood or alien Hips. or alien sympathizer neighborhood. Right. A lot yeah, of those yeah. Are out.
0: Certainly. Uh and so he tells her about the glasses uh but of course she just you know she's not willing to listen and she won't put them on but here it's it's not even it's it's not like the fight later it's just uh you know if i put them on and uh, say that i see what you see will will it make you stop and you realize that like it doesn't matter what she says she she makes a point of just her input would not be uh meaningful that she would just be pretending for him so don't even bother
1: yeah basically and he's just like, have it your way. And she's like, no, your way. You're in charge. You're the one in charge here. Mm-hmm. And she's very experienced at being kidnapped, it seems like.
0: Yeah. And she says that she works for a TV station, which is uh, also a red flag.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's a few of those.
0: And, like, she gets up to, or he gets up to turn on the TV, and she immediately hits him with a bottle, and what a stunt here. Great stunt. Yeah.
1: She, uh, she hits him with a bottle and knocks him out the window.
0: Through the, like, crashes through the window. Yeah, through
1: the window. Through, like, a
0: second floor, I want to say.
1: Yeah, and he lands on, like, this hill. And And goes sliding down. Yeah.
0: And like it's quite a stunt. Like it, it it's so unexpected because you know he's just getting up to turn on the TV, and then all of a sudden there's a crash, and he's rolling down a hill. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and she calls the police, and he hides out under uh, just someone's house. And like you know, it's it's these these houses that are on the Hollywood Hills, so they're like uh, they're on. Sp- on, on, stilts. on stilts basically so he's just like hiding under one of those uh and of course he lost the sunglasses he left them behind in her apartment
1: that's okay he remembers where he uh put them in the garbage can the other one
0: yeah
1: <sighs> that was a bad hiding place
0: that's not a good <laughs> hiding place so next day he goes to find frank at the job site and he's like i've got something i need to show you Uh, And he goes to the alley where the trash has already been picked up, but the garbage truck is still there. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) So he has to dive into the the garbage truck to find them. Uh, And he does ultimately get dumped out with all of the trash, but he does manage to find them, thankfully.
1: Yep, yeah. So there's just all this trash just all over the floor of the alley. Garbage truck drives away. It's like, eh. I loaded it. That wasn't my job to make sure it stays loaded.
0: Nope. These are real working people. <laughs> it's not aliens driving that truck.
1: Nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Frank shows up with his week's pay. He's like, listen, I uh, I don't want to be involved in this shit. You just, you're, you're a wanted fugitive. You murdered two cops and just a whole bunch of people in a bank yesterday. This is the money that you're owed, but I'm leaving now.
1: <laughs> and he's like, "You gotta put on these glasses." No, I don't gotta put on anything.
0: <laughs> I I really like just the very rapid escalation of this. It's like, "Try these on, put these on." I'm telling you, you dumb son of a bitch! And then Frank punches him in the face, and then they're off to the races. Okay. And oh my god, this fight! <laughs> wow, uh,
1: I can't. <laughs> I can't believe it. It seriously is. It's like it's 10 minutes of it's them just
0: beating the ten shit fight.
1: out of each other. Yeah. Just put on the glasses. I don't want to put on the glasses. And they're punching each other. And they're like throwing each other and knocking each other on the ground. And they have to stop and take breaks.
0: And like they're <laughs> and both really huge built dudes. Like they're buff and like they're just genuinely beating the shit out of each other
1: And <laughs> my favorite part is one at one point piper's got a uh two by four and he goes to hit frank with it frank dodges and he smashes the window of the car and he's like oh shit i am so sorry
0: <laughs> he starts laughing too <laughs> so surprised that it happened uh i i also really like the line i'm giving you a choice put on these glasses or start eating that trash can <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's it's so great and it, it does feel purposeful that it's such a long fight and it, it's just such a just a beast of a sequence that it takes so much convincing just to even start to try to look at another perspective.
1: Yeah. It's not subtle.
0: It's not subtle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately, sorry, go ahead. He doesn't even put on the glasses by choice. Piper has to force the glasses onto his face after he's beaten the shit out of them.
0: Yeah, they're both just almost too beat to move, and he's just like, dead on his feet and he just like puts them on his head and like he does that twice in the scene it's just the first time frank still has enough a fight on him that he throws them down and he almost stomps on the sunglasses
1: <laughs> oh man it, it was even if there was nothing else to this movie that scene would make this movie worth it
0: yeah it it is legendary for a reason like this is one of the most parodied fight scenes of all time it's been done so many different times in in other movies or like tv shows i know south park did it and i'm pretty sure family guy did it in full with like the chicken
1: oh that's what that is yeah i well i heard about it we talked last week i i saw saint's I Heard Row. about this fight from a video game yeah
0: yeah yeah like it's it's so heavily parodied it's just it's <laughs> just such a crazy fight scene it's so unreal how long it goes
1: yeah because none of the parodies can go as hard as the scene actually goes because nobody has that kind of run time to just spend on this oh, it's
0: so great and like in the script uh, there there was no there there wasn't like blocking or anything in the script it was just two pages and one page said fight oh, shit. <laughs> second second page fight continues <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and a lot of it does feel like uh like a wrestling match between them
0: oh yeah absolutely
1: i mean because like, they like both... they're using wrestling moves
0: yeah they're, they're using a bunch of those and Keith David has kind of the physique of a wrestler Even though he's not himself a pro wrestler Like he's a big dude He does feel like he's that tough of a guy He has oh, the definitely. same sort of physique So finally they're they're like I really love the sequence of them just Walking down the street together just So beat to shit Both with their sunglasses on <laughs> Yeah is they're completely beat to shit they're both just bloody and Keith David is like absolutely marveling at everything around him it's like what the <laughs> fuck but they're so dead they're so destroyed and it's like man immediately they regret like f- why did we have that stupid fight fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now how are we going to now how are we going to do something about this god damn it
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh Keep them fighting each other, and they'll never fight you.
0: Yeah. So they go to a hotel, get a room to like start figuring out what the hell they're gonna do about this. Uh, and Roddy advises Frank not to wear the glasses too long because he he says that if you wear them a while, it starts feeling like a knife turning in your skull. That's oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I, I I guess there's some sort of feedback that the glasses cause. Uh, I, I believe the lady at the church, or the the resistance, later mentions that that there there's some sort of feedback caused by the glasses.
1: Um, it 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 does kind of make sense. Like uh, if you, if you wear glasses that aren't meant for you, true. All glasses wearing people know this. Oh yeah, uh, you'll get a headache, and it's it's sometimes it only takes like five minutes.
0: True. Although I think here. It's specifically sort of a broadcast thing because I I think it's like literal feedback uh, in the way that, and and maybe in the the same sense that uh, it's able to decode audio, like why we had the crosswalk thing, that it's sort of just a a whole signal. Okay, okay. Um, So Frank's like, well, we need to find the people who made the glasses, which, you know. That's the sensible thing. We, we've we got to get together with the resistance. Yep. Uh, we get a bit of Roddy's backstory, how he ran away from home from an abusive father, and that's why he's just sort of been on the road ever since. Uh, and Gilbert from the church shows up to invite them to a resistance meeting. And I guess, like, had Frank phoned him, like contacted him or something?
1: Um, I'm not sure. Uh... I, I kind of almost think it was just one of those happy coincidences.
0: Oh, maybe. Because, like, we know Gilbert's in the Resistance and knows them already. And he's like, glad to have you with us, Frank. So they, they go to the meeting, and a lady at the meeting gives them contact lenses to replace the glasses. Mm-hmm. And uh, these the contact lenses don't have the same feedback issue. Mm-hmm
1: but now we don't get to see everybody wearing their sunglasses at night.
0: I know. And we, we don't get a, any more of like the black and white stuff either. We just kind of see aliens as they see them, which is, uh, you know, I, we, we got a really good amount of the effect and it's obviously a really hard effect to do just time-wise.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> got to redress the entire set every time. Uh but it's so cool looking. <laughs> I do want yeah. more.
1: Yeah. Well we get more at the end.
0: That's true. Yeah, we do get a bit more. Uh so at the meeting they learn that the human cops have been told that their group are communist agitators. Uh and they also learn that, that aliens are good. mostly buying people up. Yeah, communists. That's that's what they are, obviously. And you know. <laughs> this is an anti-capitalist movie, so uh, within the metaphor, they would be communist agitators. Yeah. Why is that illegal? <laughs> <is> That's <laughs> that, uh, can you have towards a communist. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's
1: it's not good. It's bad. You just yeah. don't don't yeah. be communist. Yeah.
0: No. Not allowed. It's uh, not good. And uh, we don't also be learned- communist we also learned that they're polluting the world to match their nope. atmosphere, right? <laughs> like they're they're creating pollution so that the world can be as shitty as where they live.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I thought that was a neat a neat touch. I was like, well, it makes more sense that the real reason we're doing it. Yeah,
0: I guess so. For money. <laughs> Capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. uh is like we could be food, we could be pets uh but all we really are is livestock. Uh and they're they're trying to figure out how to locate and shut down the signal since obviously they're just not able to get through much with these broadcasts and the signal is always overriding them. Uh but notably uh Holly is there.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because when Holly is here, um we hear the per- we actually hear the person uh, like giving out whoever's talking giving out advice or whatever, saying, "Hey, if they offer you a position, by all means accept. Uh, get to know them, like learn their weaknesses and all that." And I'm at it's right here. I'm like, mm, I bet they offered Holly a position because otherwise, how does she even know about this place?
0: Well, like I I think so. The idea that w- when we had that shot earlier when. Roddy rolled out the window and when it cut back to show that the glasses were left in her living room I oh. think those are sort of there as a hook that like maybe she did put them on and learn the reality so right, right, there's right. sort of like it could be yeah
1: yeah I forgot about that okay right. I, I uh, still thought that it's saying it as the camera was looking at her was pretty oh, yeah
0: uh, <laughs> yeah no I, I agree
1: <laughs> pretty on the nose
0: yeah, and especially with what happens later, I think it's pretty clear that she is infiltrating them already at this point. Uh she probably has been working with them for some time because she's you know, she's a programming director for TV. There's no way that she's not part of it. So aliens raid the meeting, of course. Almost everybody there is massacred, although our main characters all escape.
1: Yeah, th- this is another brutal one. They just they're guns blazing here. They're, they're not uh, even worrying about the pretense anymore.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's also these people are the resistance. They can't be bought out, so there's no point. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Uh, so they get trapped in an alley, but uh, Frank has gotten— or they, they've gotten a hold of one of the watches. Uh, I guess someone in the meeting had one.
1: Oh, Yeah. And, and it, uh, I think it malfunctions and opens up a hole in the floor.
0: Yeah, like, it's sort of the way their wa- their watches work. They, they do open portals or transport. And I guess if there's a damage to the watch, it will give you a portal just in case. And uh, they escape into it, and it's a secret underground corridor, which seems to go on forever.
1: Yep, just a big underground corridor over the entire... Or under the entire LA, yeah, probably under the whole country,
0: probably, or or sec- a bunch of them, and they come upon a large formal dinner inside for the human power elite.
1: <laughs> yep, there's they're just celebrating like, yeah, go us. We made money by selling out our race and our planet.
0: Yeah, profits are up 39%. We've crushed the West Coast terrorist network.
1: <laughs> and the guy's saying, by 2025, we'll have control over the whole world. And I'm like, hell, oh, wow, you're ahead of schedule. Yeah. You uh, wish you were efficient at being good instead of evil. <laughs>
0: yeah. You had some kind of, like, good plan for humanity? Yeah. Because humanity doesn't seem to. Uh, (laughs) so they they run into one of the homeless people the uh, buck flower again but now he's in a suit and tie and he's drinking champagne because he's been recruited and bought out by them i'm not really sure what they had what he had to offer them exactly because he kind of screws them here (laughs) not on purpose but by accident
1: but maybe he's the one who sold out the church
0: Oh, could be that. That would make a lot of sense, actually.
1: Yeah, because he was at the. Because that's
0: he was the one who the was outside he'd watching probably, TV. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he'd probably know about the church.
0: That makes sense, uh, and he assumes that they've been recruited too. So he just shows them around, which is <laughs> very helpful. Yeah. Uh, there's a transporter to Andromeda, which is where the aliens come from. Uh, which is cool effect. You know, just a. a it's it's this space transport from underground uh just interesting visual thing Mm -hmm. like a a trans-dimensional gateway or something
1: yeah i thought it was pretty neat uh
0: so then uh, he also takes them to the signal source like hey uh, what's the source of the signal oh you show us that too that'd be fun to see (laughs) You guys really don't so it does And, uh, you know, there, there are guards there, but like Roddy's, ah, I thought we just might be able to see the inside of the studio. That, that would be cool. And the guards obviously say no. So he shoots them. (laughs) And, uh, here they raid the, or it's just Roddy and Frank, uh, storming the TV station after, uh, Buck just uses his watch to disappear. Uh, and as they go, they're just gunning down whichever ones are aliens that they see uh, one thing that He's I kind noticed...
1: of doing the commando wave.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing that I noticed, the alien soldiers are talking into Ghostbusters PKE meters. It's reused props.
1: Oh, you see, I, I couldn't remember if that was Ghostbusters or aliens.
0: I'm fairly sure they are PKE meters from Ghostbusters. They look uh, a would... lot like them.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, I knew it was definitely something I'd seen before. Yeah. No, you're right, because they the arms spin.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Because they, they come out Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh so they find Holly and head for the roof because uh Roddy is still under the impression that she's with them. Uh and Roddy goes ahead up onto the roof, but she shoots Frank. So revealing to us first that uh she's a villain before Roddy realizes it. Yep. Like, Rip Frank, uh, he, he uh, doesn't get much of a ceremonious death. Uh, no, he... I mean, just, Carpenter is not a sentimental guy.
1: <laughs> no, nope, the movie just moves on immediately. We don't even get, like, a close-up of his face or, or a... Frank!
0: Yeah, no, we, he, we just hear the gunshot, and then we're, we're already out of the scene and upstairs. Uh, and she goes up and holds the gun on Roddy. She's like, don't interfere, you can't win. Uh, But he has a gun hidden up his sleeve, he shoots her, then he shoots the transmitter, uh, and then he is shot. He's uh, shot by troops from a helicopter (laughs) while the transmitter explodes.
1: And as he's dying, (laughs) he just gives his middle finger and says, fuck you.
0: (laughs) So good. Really excellent. Uh, Frank does not get a ceremonious death, but, you know, Roddy has earned that much you know <laughs> ruddy has to give a last fuck you yep and then we just get our final montage of uh, the tv broadcasts changing over uh revealing the news anchors as aliens looking really gross we see people in bars noticing that some of the people in the bar is an alien people watch and uh, the aliens don't notice the change on tv
1: Yeah, yeah, until somebody says, like, the news anchor is like, oh, my God, you look terrible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And within the the montage of stuff, very funny, there's Siskel and Ebert and their aliens, and they're complaining about John Carpenter films being too violent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a really nice little bit of self-referentiality. Like, it's not something that I feel Carpenter does often. Like, I don't even know of any other instances of it but that one's really good i don't
1: think so but that's yeah i i've never seen one but yeah that's good
0: this is spot on Uh, and all the uh all
1: the um all the obey stickers are visible to everybody (laughs) but it's all in here it's all in color and the aliens are this like gross kind of blue red color
0: yeah, they look sort of bloody. They're very, like, they, they look like a bloody skull, but, like, with a bit of, like, blue on it, like some tar or something. They're so gross looking. <laughs> and then the very final moment, there's a lady having sex, and she's also watching TV, and she sees an alien on the commercial, and she stops. It's like, what the hell? And then. You know, it pulls out and she's riding an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what's wrong, baby? And that's the end. That's the (laughs) final moment of the movie. Really funny, like, closing gag. After such a serious and, like, it's a very serious and very dark movie. It's quite bleak and nihilistic. But, yeah, ends on such a great joke.
1: (laughs) I think that that's the point, that once the wool is finally lifted from all of our eyes, we're going to look at everything and just be like, this was fucking stupid.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that is totally it. That's the, the very last moment. And uh, man, it's such a great movie. Oh.
1: It really is. It's like. It, it's like a proto matrix kind of.
0: Yeah, and like I, I do feel the two of them have a lot in common in terms of being these movies that sort of that that are a metaphor about, you know, the 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 underpinnings of society and uh, the the damage that they cause us as humans. That a lot of people sort of latched onto just the sci-fi element and thought the sci-fi element was the real part instead of the meaning that it was meant to convey yeah, and that, you know, it's just, you know, another conspiracy to believe in instead of the reality. It's very depressing, but yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I feel like uh, that's also sort of the way John Carpenter was approaching it and uh, why it's so tongue in cheek, why it is a big kind of commercial blockbuster. It stars a wrestler. Oh, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. It's, it's so good. <laughs>
1: For something so obviously anti-capitalist, this feels like his most his most Hollywood film.
0: In some ways, for sure. Well,
1: I don't know. Like, no, have there you was ever also seen *Escape Starman. from
0: LA*. <laughs> um, yeah, *Escape from LA* feels pretty Hollywood, at least '90s Hollywood. Mm, I don't. Oh, see yeah, it's, it again. it's been a while. Yeah, and it's the only sequel John Carpenter ever did.
1: Oh no, L.A. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm th- I thought New York.
0: Oh yeah, no, New York's a little bit grungier, I think. Christine is pretty commercial. Like that, that was pretty straight down the line. That was him like making one to like get back in the good graces of the studio.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I haven't seen Escape from L.A.
0: Oh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's got problems, but. Okay, it's a, it's a fascinating movie, uh, especially in contrast with Escape from New York. All right. Uh, so obviously, the next movie uh, in the Carpenter list, uh, as I mentioned before, is Memoirs of an Invisible Man, starring Chevy Chase as a. It's it's like a film noir murder mystery, but Chevy Chase accidentally gets turned into an invisible man, and he's trying to solve the mystery. That's my recollection, anyway.
1: You mean it's a Chevy Chase movie where we don't really have to watch Chevy Chase?
0: Yeah, he's the Invisible Man. I Like, I remember so little of it. I, it, it, like, It has been, well, whenever it came out. I saw it in theaters and have not seen it again.
1: Yeah, I never, I don't think I've seen it, but I remember commercials.
0: Yeah. You probably remember it as much as I do, because I can remember, like, a couple images.
1: So a long, right. long time ago. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, so that's that's pretty much it for *They Live*. Any last thoughts before we move
1: on? Um, no, I'll just it was a great movie. Uh, I guess we need to be even more obvious <laughs> somehow. Guess.
0: Somehow, uh, but yeah, it, like it, it is kind of inarguably a must see. It's so good, and it just it resonates. It's one that just gets better with age.
1: Yeah, it's still completely valid right now.
0: Upsettingly valid. Especially because its purpose at the time was very much a uh, a response to Reagan. But man, it just uh, uh good
1: thing we uh good thing we learned from those years and put the brakes on that whole thing.
0: Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well with that happy note, we'll head on into our second part. We are back for our second part, and we're going to be discussing the Guy Magar film *Retribution* from 1987.
1: Oh, this is uh, this movie was a trip. This uh, bit of a trip. Yeah, yeah. This movie uh, took me took me a few tries to actually get through it because I realized partway through I just wasn't stoned enough.
0: <laughs> it it is kind of like. Like, it is sort of a perfect stoned watch movie, because, like, it's such a weird sequence of events.
1: The plot makes no sense, and then it gets explained, and it still doesn't really make sense, but it does. It's...
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, like, there's a pretty basic section, or a pretty basic concept or setup where, We have this guy who commits suicide in our opening scene. And he's revived and he's possessed. But he doesn't know he's possessed.
1: Yeah, so instead of the ghost making his body do things, uh, the ghost is active when he's asleep and he can... And the ghost gets its own body and goes around
0: yeah i think
1: something that's bit, like that yeah uh because
0: the it, it's like this spirit version of him that's like neon blue and green and just doesn't seem to be bound by any physical laws because it can cause anything to happen too
1: yeah, he has poltergeist powers and he he has a lot of poltergeist temper tantrums.
0: Yeah, like he he's just got the power of vengeance behind him, I guess.
1: Or retribution.
0: Retribution. Uh so what we open with and this is really the only part I clearly recall in terms of the sequence of events is we have our painter guy. Uh what's his name again? George. George Miller. And he goes up to the roof of his apartment building and he's threatening to jump and he's waiting long enough that a bunch of paramedics show up and a crowd shows up, it, which is very important because, uh, of course, they're able to save him when he jumps off the building.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's he's jumping uh, They've like they've got the whole nine yards. They've got the spotlights on him. Uh He's making a big deal out of jumping Just being a real drama queen about it, honestly
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how people do that Uh, And they're about to put in Like a net or a trampoline or something But he sees them do it And finally he just kind of decides to act And he jumps and lands on a car instead
1: But he puts his glasses down first
0: Yeah, that's weird
1: Yeah So they, uh They've got the defibrillator going, and... uh, Oh, uh, this is, I think, just after the hilarious PowerPoint logo uh, of Retribution shows up on the screen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty (laughs) lo-fi. Yep. This this movie, its its effects have a lo-fi charm to them a lot of the time. Like, the gore effects are pretty decent, but a lot of the visual effects are more just character like the oh, yes. like him turning different colors and all of the different stuff like that's clearly just like well we need to make it look like something uh, we don't have money to do it with makeup just play with the image a little bit sure so uh what so, happens here uh
1: so yeah he's he's being revived by the paramedics he's going towards the light but the light is green and then suddenly. <laughs> superimposed zombie face jump scare <laughs> uh, never mind he's not dead now he's in the hospital but he's got a dream of what looks like a mob hit right uh, we don't really see clearly what's going on but it looks like some mob guy is getting shot
0: yeah and ultimately a lot more than shot
1: oh yeah yeah but they kill the hell out see of this that dude. later
0: Right. (laughs) They really fucking killed this guy. They killed him so hard. Like, he had to come back.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just couldn't let this insult...
0: Yeah. (laughs) Who could let this kind of insult stand? You gotta come back from the dead for one like this.
1: Like, dude, you did not need to do this. That was just mean.
0: Yeah, I just owed you money, guys. Come on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... In the hospital, he, he's he got this uh, lady doctor and it looks like she's going to be the love interest. Um, he's helping her or she's helping him uh, recover from being broken from a fall from the top of the building.
0: Yeah, it's quite a fall that he takes. It's It is kind of miraculous that he survives at all. But he's pretty like he he is not super harmed by it. Or or at least by the time we catch up with him, he's pretty much entirely healed.
1: He has a limp now. He has to yeah. walk with a cane. But that's has got a limp it.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it would be a lot more. I mean, like, the building he jumped off of, when I was a kid, I saw someone who had jumped off a building uh about this size. Like I I was I, I, I was in a building where someone had jumped off uh and oh, saw yes. it and uh They did not survive, and they would not have uh, been revived. So, so, like, it it, it does seem like maybe more than he could survive, but I don't know. Maybe he just landed just right. Maybe the car cushioned his fall enough. Sometimes. The one I'm I'm thinking of, the guy fell on rocks. Uh, That'll do it. (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, Yeah. Uh, He's kind of okay, but he's still very depressed. Uh, And what exactly, like, I, I um, can't remember what it was. He has
1: these nightmares. Right. He has these nightmares, and but he doesn't ever want to talk about them. And the doctor is, like, really pushy about, like, have you seen any faces, any names, anything like that? We need to get to the bottom of these nightmares. And he's just like, hmm. No, no, it's okay.
0: It's weird. It's like the doctor knows what the plot of the movie is going to be. He's like, well, we just need to find out who's haunting you.
1: Yeah, like, I (laughs) thought she was going to be in on it with how insistent (laughs) she was on everything. But no, she's just some rando doctor.
0: She's just read the script. She knows where it's going.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so um, uh, let's see. So we find out that this girl Angel has been calling after George. Uh, While he was in the hospital Angel is and he's just like oh just a friend
0: yeah a girl from the apartment building
1: yeah Um, and then uh, her coffee uh, flips over on its own this Mm -hmm. is I think the first time we see his uh, his poltergeist poltergeist powers powers. yeah yeah Um, so he gets out of the hospital and we find out his friend Angel is a sex worker with the eightiest hair, eighties hair that's ever been eighties hair.
0: Oh yeah. A lot so, of good eighties fashion in this movie.
1: She's so like she is so the eighties. Just mm-hmm. if the decade was a person.
0: She's got kind of a Cindy Lauper vibe.
1: Yep. Yeah. Oh, and at the uh, at the hotel where he was staying, he was living there. Uh they've got all these characters staying there, including this dog with a costume and glasses uh, <laughs> sitting at the counter. Of course. Um, a landlord who is perpetually wearing curlers and a bathrobe.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that's kind of the, the standard landlord cliche, I feel. Or yeah. landlady cliche.
1: Um that's I think that's all we meet for now, but we do the rest of them are just People who just look like people. Yeah. Like the kind of weirdos who'd be staying at a hotel like this. Not to cast any shade on weirdos staying at a hotel like this. I was a weirdo staying at a hotel like this once.
0: Indeed. Uh, And they go up to his room. And I I recall that he's got a lot of creepy paintings.
1: Yeah. Well, the reason that he tried to kill himself was because his painting wasn't coming out the way he wanted. So I guess
0: he <laughs> so dramatic, to start, this guy
1: s- decides to start painting again. It's like, maybe this time I won't kill myself.
0: <laughs> but then there's blood.
1: Then uh then he paints using very clearly yellow paint that puts a red streak on the page or on the canvas and he's like <gasps> and it's terrifying. And it's blood. It looks like blood. So then we cut to this bar or club, um, whatever, where he's there in a completely different outfit, uh, picking up this super drunk girl. I guess she owns the bar.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't seem, it it seems different from how he's acted previously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, He's smooth, he's charming, he's not going to kill himself over paintings it doesn't (laughs) seem like
0: yeah over you know a slight creative unfulfillment when you know he could just start another painting i don't know guy yeah (laughs)
1: Um, but yeah it takes sorry Sorry, go go ahead
0: yeah well i was thinking like it's clearly something someone else inhabiting him or like a new personality that has come out of his fall. And I obviously get we,
1: that right away. Uh, I got it at the end of the scene, of course. Right. So. So, um, here's where he first shows off his green blue face eyes. Such and a cool says, look. Yeah. Uh, what is it? he says, he says, Santa Maria mother of God help me and the girl's like oh no it's you and then he has a poltergeist temper tantrum and trashes her house and she pulls up a knife to stab him and he controls her hand and makes her stab herself in the gut with the knife not not just stab but like cut across
0: yeah and it's a decent effect it's pretty well done for how some of the other stuff in this movie kind of looks at times like it's a pretty low budget film but they for the gore they didn't uh skimp like they they made it look good i i I appreciate that
1: so so george is now back in the doctor's office uh, panicking he's like oh my god i killed him i killed him it's like no, you were asleep at your apartment. Yeah, but no, it was when I was asleep. Uh, I I killed them. And then they see this uh, news report of the, the woman who just died. Mm-hmm. And the doctor gets a nosebleed. And George is all like, sorry, sorry. And I think he just leaves after the doctor's like, what are you sorry about?
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that he is completely aware that he is doing all of this stuff right from the start, but no one will believe him that he's doing this stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of an unusual... Intimate knowledge of the, uh, of the cases.
0: Yeah, and it's it's an unusual way to go about it. You know, normally we would have someone who is unaware that he's being manipulated in this way, especially if it's happening when he's sleeping.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, if he is aware, he can just go to the police. Oh, no, doctor says no, don't go to the police. Nope. Because just don't do it.
0: Who listens to their doctor that much?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this guy does because she, like, has a crush on him. Well, yeah, I guess. After he leaves the doctor, he ends up uh, going on a bus and he's like, but he doesn't seem to know where he wants to go. So he tells the bus driver, like, hey, stop here. And the bus driver's like, no, my stop's six blocks ahead. (laughs) Yeah, this
0: is a weird scene. Like, he doesn't know how buses work. Yeah. Which is, Um, how does this guy not know how a bus works?
1: Maybe he's used to driving? (laughs) This guy's not used to driving.
0: I don't get the impression he's used to driving either. Yeah, I don't know he seems like such a weird alien individual like his choices and and the way he composes himself are strange like he doesn't act like a real person ever
1: no um and and i think that's part of it uh, because he's so weird i think that's part of why everyone just dismisses him as crazy whenever he tries to talk about how he's murdered people it's like This guy hasn't murdered people, he's just crazy
0: This guy's just a weirdo
1: He just happens to have intimate knowledge of the crime scene and the M.O. And uh, it's not him
0: It it kind of isn't him
1: (laughs) Well, it's kind of not him, but still
0: I mean, he physically isn't there
1: (laughs) Well, he is and isn't Yeah, that's true Um, so he crashes the bus by poltergeist spinning the wheel, but he's not, he's not in control of that. This one, this version of George doesn't have, uh, so there's three Georges. There's full George where he's like fully himself and in control of everything. There's ghost George, which is the murderer, the, uh, the blue and green neon thing. And then there's this George, which is, uh, I guess just dazed George. He he, he, it only comes up when he's uh, when he's. Well, it turns out he's going to the uh, to see to this apartment building and he doesn't know why, uh, where there's this kid and this woman there. We later find out that the kid and woman are the wife and child of the guy who was murdered.
0: Right. Inside of Um, us, there are three Georges. (laughs)
1: It's <laughs> inside of all
0: of us. yeah, uh, I, I kind of feel like the dazed George, so to speak, is sort of where the two of them are kind of coalescing. It, it, it's the point where the two of them meet, where uh, the 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 possession or whatever, the the alternate spirit is kind of uh, exerting influence on the waking life. regular George
1: yeah like like it's compelling him to go to these places but not really sure where and not really sure why
0: right because like both spirits are inhabiting the body but they don't communicate in any way like they they they're uh, there there's no direct communication between them so it's just a matter of like one sort of forcing the other at certain points Obviously, you know he's got to go see his family.
1: Yeah, and uh, and they're like, and, and of course the woman is naturally really, uh, really creeped out that this guy shows up, and
0: uh, he's a creepy looking he, guy.
1: Yeah, and he asks about uh, the girl uh, that he murdered, mm-hmm. um, whatever her name was, and she's just like, "How do you know that name?" And then she. Basically tells him to fuck off. Yeah. Um, well, like
0: he he's got nothing that he can give them or answers them. It's it's weird that the spirit wanted him to go there.
1: I think the spirit wanted to make sure that they were okay.
0: I guess so. Yeah, just to just to verify.
1: Yeah. Um. So then he goes back to his place and they've got a surprise party for him.
0: Oh yeah. That that's kind of weird. And, and they're like all in his painting studio. It's sort of almost played like it's going to be a scare.
1: Uh, yeah, maybe uh, kind of. I, I I didn't quite get that vibe from it, but I was I was just like, man, this landlady's being so pushy. Just leave the guy alone, man. He's been through a lot. He's fallen off a building and he's ghost murdered people. Yeah, he's I know. He's supposed don't... to go to bed.
0: It does seem strange that you'd throw a surprise party for someone who's just out of the hospital for uh, (laughs) attempted suicide. It just doesn't seem like a surprise party occasion. A party, maybe, or some sort of get-together, I could see it. But a surprise party, that seems like the wrong choice. Well. But they do it, of course.
1: They they do it, of course, and he's having a blast, and uh, let's see. And we, I think we cut to the doctor lady, um, who's it's got this kinda, really nice house.
0: I I would say that his apartment building, it, it's kind of a nice weirdo community. It's sort of a yeah. pleasant community of weirdos that really do all support each other, even if like they're not doing a great job of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're trying. T- totally. Um.
0: So he's a doctor, uh, as you were saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the doctor lady, who's in the really nice house, is talking about the case to her boyfriend, which is a uh, doctor dickhead. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's like, "You really gotta like, really gotta leave your work at work." But she can't because she has a crush on him.
0: Yeah, and I I have no idea why.
1: Uh, no, nope, me neither.
0: Um, he's the protagonist. He,
1: Yeah, then Angel is going to take George up to her room, and the landlady is just so happy that George is is getting laid finally. Yeah. But he doesn't even get laid. He, like, falls asleep.
0: Yep. Passes out. And then, of course, with him being asleep.
1: Uh, Now we go into a butcher place where uh, Evil George is stalking this uh, guy through all these corpses of horses and cows and stuff. Yeah. Um, he, he, when he reveals himself, he makes one of the, the horse corpses swallow the guy, so he's <laughs> trapped inside...
0: So good.
1: <laughs> but he's trapped inside this, like, cow corpse with his head coming out of the ass. <laughs>
0: And then of course it, it ends up on uh uh getting getting processed. It's it's on the what do you call it? The hook?
1: The 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 hook takes it onto the conveyor belt where there's like this one buzzsaw to cut him in half. It's awesome. And it's a Batman trap.
0: It is a Batman trap. Although Batman probably was never inside a horse's ass while doing it.
1: Uh if it had gone on enough seasons.
0: <laughs> I mean, if it were modern, edgy DC, sure. <laughs> no
1: way, that's way too fun for modern, edgy DC.
0: Oh, modern edgy, uh, modern edgy DC cartoons.
1: Mm.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, wow. so I, I'd say like that's maybe my favorite death in the film, just because so weird and audacious. I, I. <laughs> <laughs> that he's stuffed inside a corpse of a horse and that it swallows him like that it it actually gets him first
1: yeah
0: and just his utter confusion at what's happening the whole time he's being <laughs> killed is is quite something too
1: yep um i think so then i guess uh, george goes back to tell the doctors like hey i killed somebody else um dream is like no you didn't you were you were in the uh the apartment with the girl right like did she see you get up
0: he's like well, and i not she didn't no cause he because didn't. he didn't
1: get up but he also did his mind did yeah um what i noticed is like after he's he saw the after she leaves or after he leaves Mm -hmm. Uh, she's talking to I think one of the other doctors like like you should really call the cops and it's like he has suicidal tendencies he doesn't need any pressure additional pressure from the police or anyone else he just needs a pepsi
0: (laughs) and like kind of good on her you know that that is kind of an appropriate physician response in, in that like he really definitely didn't or or at least in any reasonable reading it's not possible that he is killing these people because he's literally been observed to have not left the room that he was in yeah so it is an appropriate reaction because like he doesn't need problems from the police if he's just recovering from a suicide attempt and just has mental problems
1: don't call the cops if uh (laughs) if if you know somebody who is like um. Don't call the cops.
0: Struggling mentally? Yeah. Don't call the cops on <laughs> them. That's not cool. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah.
1: So no, they won't help.
0: Yeah. So like, it it does feel like a fairly responsible choice on her part, and it's it's cool that she sort of pushes back on. It. It's like, no, he really doesn't need that, and in any logical scenario, she's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, even in most movie scenarios, because he still yeah. would have to be able to get up. Right. To be...
0: This one's very weird. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Because, like, Michael Myers would still have to get up and put on the mask.
0: Yeah. And, like, I've seen other movies with a similar sort of possession plot where a ghost is possessing a living body to get vengeance on the people who killed them. And usually they're possessing the body and it goes and does those things.
1: Yeah. like not this
0: just... Is... This is I don't even, even know. outside
1: horror movie conventions, so it's so weird. fair enough for not uh, for not seeing it. Yeah. So he's uh, in a taxi. He's like, go left here. No, right, right, left, right. No, wait, go this way. And the tab- ca- taxi guy's like, man, fuck you, dude.
0: <laughs> fuck you. Get out of my cab. God damn it. Uh,
1: and he ends up in a cemetery uh, where, he, where we find uh, the lady and the kid again. Over the grave of a guy named Vito. Vito.
0: Vito Manelli, I think it is.
1: Uh, I'm not Something sure. Like I, just, uh, I just wrote, uh, I just have Vito written down.
0: I don't and, remember for sure.
1: And on the tombstone, it uh, it has his catchphrase, Santa Maria, <laughs> Mother of God. <laughs> That's <laughs> and It doesn't weird. say help me, but it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it, okay.
0: The the Santa Maria, please help me, it it kind of like the, the way he yells it the first time when when he uh kills the person, it it brings to mind child's play and Brad Doriff uh, you know, doing the satanic ritual that turns him into the Chucky doll. It's it's delivered with the same kind of intensity. And I kind of wonder if it's supposed to be some sort of magical incantation that he's doing. Like the it, it's Obviously, not as uh in depth or as no, it's say, not. No,
1: it it's not anywhere near as uh, complicated as that.
0: No, but it does feel like he's calling upon some sort of force, a holy force, maybe.
1: Yeah, and that is what I thought at first. But it's the help me that makes it uh, that makes it weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he's yeah, not um, calling for help.
0: No, he's well, he's. He's calling upon forces to help him get vengeance. Maybe, uh, sort of.
1: It could be, could be. Yeah. And at this point, I wrote down, okay, so he, so Vito is the mob hit guy, and he's the one possessing George. Correct. <laughs> it's, it's. We don't find that out for till much later, but it's pretty obvious.
0: Yeah, like um, it, it's one of those where. We do see it pretty early on, but it takes a really long time for some of the characters to catch up.
1: Yeah. So uh, we cut to the doctor again, whose pen suddenly starts writing in red ink, which freaks her the fuck out. Everybody just is terrified of red ink in this movie.
0: Because it looks like blood.
1: (laughs) They're just terrified of it.
0: (laughs) The Um, color red. It's terrifying. The color of the devil.
1: But then it's gone, and That's she goes bad. to this uh, doctor's meeting yeah. where a bunch of old men with cigarettes uh, sit at the table and yell at her. Yeah. And then uh, a doctor – not a doctor, a cop comes in who uh, – my first impression – this guy, I've definitely seen him before. He looks like – but I couldn't place him. He looks like if Joe Don Baker and John Candy had a love child.
0: Right, so Hoyt Axton – Great legendary country singer Hoyt Axton uh, He's in Gremlins I think he's The dad in Gremlins
1: And that's probably where I saw him from
0: Certainly his best known role But like he's most known as a country singer um, He did the theme song To the Joe Don Baker movie Mitchell, I believe Oh, no kidding yeah. My, 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 Mitchell <laughs> I think that's a Hoyt Axton song. Anyway, uh, I'm yeah. I'm going
1: to watch that sometime when I'm not super drunk.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. It is bad.
1: <laughs> so, turns out that the doctor's asshole doctor boyfriend called the cops about of course. George knowing intimate details about the murders. And the cops just like, hey, I just want to speak with the patient to confirm his alibi, uh, but she won't, she won't give up the information because you know,
0: Parent, a good patient doctor. doctor privilege.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he's all like, well, I'll just go and get a warrant, and then you'll have to. And she's like, well, then do it.
0: He's like, yeah, well, bring it then. <laughs>
1: and then he he will later he later will bring it. But uh, first she takes a random like she storms out of the meeting, takes a random bedpan and just dumps it on the asshole doctor boyfriend's head.
0: That's pretty great. It's pretty great. This is what you deserve.
1: Yep. Uh, George is meeting up with Angel again and and she's like, uh, hey, do you want to get stoned? And he's just like. So he's like a little child here. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they go to this art gallery. um, This neon art gallery. It's like so rad neon light artwork and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, <laughs> they're just looking at everything and laughing. And right when she said, do you want to get stoned? I, I got stoned. So to me, I just wrote down that this scene is high art.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I would love to get stoned and wander around a gallery of neon artwork. That would be the raddest. That would be so great.
1: And, and there's this ominous shot of, uh, of the camera lingering on this uh, neon panther for some reason
0: because it's so cool looking <laughs>
1: well, it's got to be connected to the ghost it's not connected to
0: the it's ghosts. not connected it's got to anything to do with it it's, it's just, just cool looking
1: speaking of things that got nothing to do with anything and are just cool looking there's an easter island statue in the basement
0: <laughs> oh yeah and who knows uh, why
1: <laughs> it's called the eternal head so you know that's (laughs) got to have something to do with the spirit and ghost too nope Nope. not at all just a random easter island statue
0: i i would assume that this is just a real art gallery at the time and they're just like let's check out some cool exhibits that is easy uh easy production value because we don't have to build any of it
1: how did they get an easter island statue there anyway It's very difficult difficult. And then after the art gallery, George says to Angel, it's like, Hey, we should go on a real date. It's like, dude, you went to an art gallery. This is a date. Do you know how many women would love to have their guys take them to an art gallery for their first date instead of like a movie?
0: Get stoned and walk around an art gallery, that's a pretty rad date. (laughs)
1: Like, dude, this is this is like the best thing you've done.
0: It is kind of the best thing he's done so far in the movie. Uh,
1: But then he sees uh, blood pouring in from the ceiling of the Easter Island room and freaks out and runs away. And she's like, don't freak out. We only had one joint. (laughs) Uh, And he gets back to his house to find that his painting has got all these red streaks on it. And now it looks like uh, NFT art.
0: Yeah. Yeah high like, quality
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so the demon or whatever is painting something but it's not finished yet and uh, Angel and her I guess gay biker boyfriend I'm not really sure what his deal is but I've seen him before I know I have
0: uh, I can't um, remember who plays him
1: Uh. She, they're like, oh, I got just the thing to help him to solve his uh, schizophrenia, and they go to a reggae club.
0: <laughs> Yay! Reggae! <laughs> reggae take, will fix it.
1: Yep. And they take him to the back room where I shit you not, like, to speak with this guru there, this reggae guru, whose name is Dr. Rasta. Hell yeah. And. And the doctor comes out, Dr. Rasta is exactly what you expect him to look like. Uh, And he's holding a snake and they're doing this ceremony. Uh, Meanwhile, or I guess just before this, um, the cop gives the warrant to the doctor. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So uh, while they're doing the ceremony, George's hand, holding hands with Dr. Rasta, And, like, suddenly the scene just gets super intense, uh, like another poltergeist temper tantrum. But, like, Dr. Rasta is like, let go of me, motherfucker!
0: (laughs) (laughs) He knows.
1: Yeah. And and then after the temper tantrum, uh, they all leave. Dr. Rasta is not killed. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important to note that the uh, not-in-control temper tantrums never kill anybody.
0: Right. Uh, the the killings are always completely it's only targeted. When, uh, when
1: he's like in full evil George mode.
0: Yeah. What he has to turn neon to kill someone.
1: Yeah. 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 So the cops from I guess from the doctor have found the hotel and they're staking it out now. Uh, we cut to this garage where we see it from presumably evil George's perspective. Um, yeah,
0: and so this garage. I, I think we saw it earlier in the initial flashback, because this is where his murder took place, correct? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. So um, so he sees this dog. The dog starts barking at him, and I'm like, oh, no, there's a dog. And I guess he just some, does something, and the dog just relaxes and goes to sleep. And I'm like, you know what? He didn't kill the dog. I'm good with let this demon just do whatever.
0: Yeah. This demon knows so, that we uh, don't we, we don't want to see dogs get killed. Doesn't need to kill yeah, anyone other than the know, people you need killing.
1: It's not the dog's fault his owner shitty. Yeah. So uh the next victim is this car mechanic who uh ends
0: up
1: torching <laughs> oh, yeah. his hand off.
0: Yeah, that was pretty intense like he forces him to blowtorch his own hand.
1: Yeah, and then and then he then George gets in a cherry picker and like crushes him with like the great grating part of the, the basket of the cherry picker, so it's got like the uh the diamond shaped face squishies. I don't know how to describe it better than
0: that. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty <laughs> pretty huge death too like they really go all out for each of the death sequences in this movie and they do sort of escalate each time
1: mhm they do um so george wakes up um uh, and now <laughs> now his painting is finished and it's the scary demon and it bleeds and and he uh, let's see when he looks in the mirror, he sees that zombie from the going towards the light scene, mm-hmm. uh, the superimposed one. And every time he looks back at the painting, the painting lights up and it has this scare chord like... <laughs> and, and, and like they really play on it because he's like, keeps doing these double takes. Like,
0: yeah,
1: like, it's like all throughout this scene.
0: <laughs> every time.
1: Yeah, well, and every painting in his... Uh, In his, um, what do you call it, thing is now this zombie thing. Yeah, his whole gallery. Yeah, he starts typing on the typewriter. He's like, no more, no more. And then the typewriter types back, not yet, you fucking asshole, (laughs) one more. (laughs) (laughs) And every time it says one more, it just shows this green superimposed image of this guy just flashes on the screen. And the the, the painting keeps lighting up with a scare cord like... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: Rad. <laughs> uh,
1: and then we see uh, what actually happened—how this veto guy got killed. Um, and it's
0: crazy. They—they they killed is him
1: insane,
0: so hard.
1: <laughs> like, there's—they take—they each take turns shooting him once, and then the dude, the mechanic, lights him on fire. Yeah, like it's, it's like
0: Clue. Uh, oh, everybody killed him. <laughs> was,
1: yeah. and, uh, and he's running around and he's screaming, uh, "Santa Maria, Mother of God, help me!" And that's so. It turns out that's all that actually means is that's just his dying words.
0: Which yes, is except why is that on his tombstone? Obviously, he just said the rest of it all the well, time. Well,
1: apparently, maybe that's just what he says anytime he's under any stress.
0: I guess. Yeah, they 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 don't give him a appropriate change at the uh, checkout. <laughs> uh,
1: and then as he's running around and screaming, he goes behind some barrels and explodes. <laughs> <laughs> he exploded, and, and like the zombie head is superimposed over all of this, and then it shrinks down and flies into George's stomach. <laughs>
0: Like, I assume he was full of gasoline or something. <laughs> like, I don't know what made him explode, but man, he went up.
1: Who cares? He exploded. It rules. So then George begins having an out-of-body experience, and we see what happens. Another George emerges from this George's body whenever he goes to sleep and puts on these gloves.
0: Special now magic gloves. the doctor
1: gloves. shows up at his house. Uh, I guess... Because she has a crush on him, I don't remember why.
0: Well, and I think also because she knows that the police are looking for him now, because oh, they got yeah, the that arrest, makes sense. right. And I think she's yeah, informing yeah. about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he attacks her, um, and then because he's George, not him. Yeah, and then George one wakes up, and the cop shows up. Um. And then, like, the ghost veto just keeps saying, one more, one more, and that one dude's face keeps flashing every time he does it.
0: <laughs> it's a very so psychedelic horror movie. Like, yeah, it, it does so feel like it was made uh, for weed, right?
1: Yeah! <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I, I didn't finish trying to watch this movie sober. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so he's... Ghost George Vito is lifting up the doctor um, like but like a, doing a Darth Vader choke on her. Mm-hmm. So he's not actually holding her. And uh, George, good George, tackles her or tackles him rather. They go flying out the window. Uh, the two bodies become one body. and It's all this dramatic music that ends the moment his body hits the ground. There's no music. It's just yeah. all this. And the, just... just A wet thud. (laughs)
0: Similar to the initial one.
1: Yeah, yeah, just like that. And this car uh, crashes while trying to get out of the way of the falling George. George's. George's. And then everybody comes out to see the accident, um, to see George. And uh, as they're giving medical attention... To the person who's who was in the car, suddenly her eyes glow green, and she says, "Santa Maria, Mother of God, help me!"
0: Dun, dun, dun. And that's it. The end. Yeah, pretty rad, honestly. <laughs> it's such a weird movie. Like I, I love how unique its approach to the material is.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. I've never seen one quite like this.
0: Just, like, I, the strange I, I, elements. The the two-body thing is so unusual.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, horror movie, con- like, somebody who knows about horror movie conventions, it wouldn't help them all that much here.
0: No, I was totally taken, but surprised by it, and, like, that that's totally why it, it was such a recommend last week, is that, you know, I watched it, and I'm so familiar with horror movies. Like, I'm very steeped in them. And I watched this and like (laughs) this one really threw me for a loop. I was, I did not know what to expect at any time other than, you know, I knew obviously that he was possessed by this guy. That that was pretty clear. But where it went, it it was always a surprise. Yeah,
1: yeah. The how, um, the just over the topness of every kill, because there's only (laughs) about like three or four kills in the whole movie, but they're all
0: they're all set piece.
1: Yeah, they're they're all they're huge.
0: Yeah, and each one of them is very special. Like each one of them is quite a thing. Uh, yeah, I mean it's pretty cool. I really like the soundtrack as well. Really cool score. Mhm. Uh, by Alan Howarth, who who worked with John Carpenter quite a bit.
1: Oh, cool, cool.
0: Like he collaborated on a bunch of Carpenter scores.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that that one I, I would totally recommend, especially for horror fans looking for something a little bit different. Uh, and especially to... if you smoke weed. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not saying you have to smoke weed to enjoy it, but I'm saying that I had to, to enjoy it. It, it
0: adds to it, because it is a weirdly psychedelic experience. It plays with color so much. It uses a lot of neon, and just... Kind of the comic repetition, like you were saying, with the scene with the painting glowing and just the same thing happening over and over again.
1: <laughs> it's just, uh, y- you gotta see it to believe it. It's just, <laughs> it just happens so much. And it's it just gets funnier the more it happens.
0: It's like the rake gag.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This whop and a sound <laughs> yeah. effect, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good yeah. Sound. Yeah. This one's a trip. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad I watched it. I recommend this one.
0: Right on. All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we head on into section three?
1: Um. No, I'm ready for, I'm ready for the, uh, the part where we make up the, our minds and hear about the things that we watched and talk about stuff.
0: Word. Well, let's do it. Okay, so welcome to part three where we talk about stuff we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week. Yay! Uh, Would you like to begin as as you uh, have some stuff to talk about?
1: Yeah, I actually watched something on my own, not for the podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Unheard of. Yep. Truly unheard of up to this point.
1: (laughs) Um, Actually, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mostly do video games in my spare time, but we're not a video games podcast. Uh, So, like everybody else in the Western world, pretty much, I watch Squid Game. Squid Game is, like, it's not as unsubtle as uh, They Live, but it is a very unsubtle look at the current state of capitalism and how... The working class basically just exists for the entertainment of the rich and can't possibly get ahead without, unless a rich person, oh, it's got it, themes.
0: It's, it's interesting uh, to, to kind of have it uh, sort of up against They Live, uh, like having both of them sort of watched together in the same week and experiencing both of them for the first time. Uh, how do you think they compare overall? because both um, of them obviously have a similar uh metaphorical thrust.
1: Uh they do and they don't. See, they live is about how media is brainwashing people um to you know to keep to keep uh to keep us fighting each other basically uh, not fighting the people on top. This one is a lot more uh literal um so spoiler right. alert uh the game is the death games that they play are not, like, televised or anything, even though they totally look like they would be. They are literally just there for the benefit of six billionaires who bet on the contestants. Nobody right. else even gets to watch the games or knows about them.
0: It's, it's a 1% these, sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. a 1% thing. And, like, the the management uh, it's so treated like a workplace thing, and the management, uh, oh, where was I going with this? Yeah. Um, like has rules in place to keep the to keep the different people fighting themselves but they they can quit the game at any time if uh if a majority vote happens so you know they could unionize if they wanted to and just (laughs) not and just not play the game but you know you got to get that cash
0: and play the game of capitalism yeah from what i
1: work somewhere
0: from from some of the things I've heard, and, you know, to be fair, I have not yet seen this. Uh, I don't know if I will, but, you know, maybe eventually. Uh, but from what I've heard, it's also kind of very specifically reflective of uh, Asian culture uh, yes. and w- where it comes from. Uh, kind of in the same way that Parasite was, where it's, you know, more reflective specifically of that culture. But it's... It works as a metaphor that kind of reflects the larger human condition. Well,
1: that yeah, it's like it's pretty on the nose, like the most of the billionaires are Americans, too.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to talk about it for any longer than I already have, because every entertainment podcast in the world will.
0: Right. Uh, but yeah,
1: okay. um I recommend it. It's good.
0: Alright. Well uh, I watched uh fifteen movies this week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh and and some of them I watched a couple times, but uh we'll we'll start at the beginning. All right. uh, first one, the WNUF Halloween special, uh which is so cool. Uh I, I talked to you a bit about this one when I was watching it. It's uh this this fake broadcast. So it's uh, 1987 Halloween local news broadcast, and okay. like the first half hour is the last half hour, or is is like the 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 evening news. Uh, just you know some basic local news. There, you know, they interview a dentist. They about you know trick or treating and how it's bad for teeth, and it's it's got all of the commercial breaks with little local commercials for like carpet stores and arcades, <laughs> and. All of it is made in 2013, but it looks completely authentic. Just uh, absolutely every element of it feels completely authentic to the 1987 uh, uh, setting. Cool. cool. So it's just like all of these little local commercials. And honestly, I'm more into that part than I ultimately was with the horror plot itself. Although it's interesting, it's like the Warrens. It's sort of... Uh, the Warrens going into Amityville, but as a 1987 Halloween TV special where it's just things get out of hand. All right. And like, the, sounds the, like fun. yeah, it's kind of cool. And just the it's 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 almost more of a comedy. It, it uses the commercial breaks in kind of a comedic way at times. That's pretty cool. Hmm. Pretty uh, there I uh, next a virgin among the living dead uh which is another Jess Franco who did Oasis of the Zombies that I talked about last week. All uh, right. Similar kind of vaguely erotic undead like it, it's a it's sort of an erotic zombie movie sort of. Okay, okay. It's it's very very slowly paced. It's about this girl who goes back to her family's ancestral home and like they have this giant mansion in a valley. But when she's going there, everyone's like, oh, you can't go to that valley. There's no one who lives there. That valley is completely abandoned. And she goes there and the family's all there, but they're all undead and they just want her to join them and also be undead. And it's just sort of weird and eerie and dreamlike. And sometimes there's a lot of nudity and sex. And (laughs) I know it's it's creepy, but like it's, it's a very particular vibe. And if you vibe with it, You'll kind of dig it, and I, I sort of do. There's something about Franco. Uh, also an, interesting for this one is that the zombie sequences were added later, or there there are a, some additional zombie sequences added later, and they're directed by Jean Roland, uh, which is cool because he's much better at creating zombie makeup than Jess Franco was in his zombie movies.
1: Oh, so so interspersed in, we just get these random good zombie sequences.
0: Yeah, well, it's sort of good, like better, anyways, or okay. or more zombie-like. Like the, the the undead in the rest of the movie are just kind of people who are creepy and uh, who are sort of maybe ghosts. Mm. <laughs> uh, next one, 13 ghosts. Uh, and this is the original 1960 version, uh, the William Castle film, rather than the uh, aughts remake of it, which I've never seen.
1: I think I have. Like <clears throat> it, Sandra Bullock or something?
0: I believe so. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember which one. Like the, the overlap between that and the haunting remake is hard for me to gauge.
1: Oh, all those haunted house movies from that particular era they yeah. might as well just be one movie
0: yeah and i mean i guess that's kind of true of the 60s ones too except the 60s ones all had kind of fun gimmicks oh okay so like this one from 1960 it's a william castle film i don't know are, are you sort of aware of william castle
1: uh no but I'm, I'm terrible with remembering directors names except for like the big ones
0: yeah, William Castle is kind of more known as a producer than a director because okay. his his stuff was like, I mean, he did, he produced and directed, but like his thing was just like theatrical gimmicks. Uh, so like the Tangler is one of his other is like probably his best known. And that's one where he put like little electric shocks in certain seats in the theater. So <laughs> at a scary right. moment, they would jolt people and they would scream.
1: Okay. Yeah, I remember hearing about that.
0: So 13 Ghosts was shot in Illusion-O. <laughs>
1: oh boy, what, what is that?
0: So at various sequences in the film, the entire screen will be covered with a blue filter. And if you put on a red lens, you'll see ghosts. Because it, it, it makes the ghosts uh, like enhanced through. It's, it's basically like using 3D stereoscopic red and blue, but just to make the special effects show up. That's cool, rather than have them appear. it's kind of neat it's It's sort of a fun effect uh, and so the plot is that <laughs> there's this family, and their all of their furniture has just been repossessed. The guy's just making no money. uh he works at a museum, I think, and you know he's just a really honest dude, and he's not making any cash and then his uncle leaves this house to the family but it turns out his uncle was a collector of ghosts like he traveled around the world and collected ghosts somehow okay and now there are 13 ghosts that inhabit the the house and they're all just messing with them and stuff also there's riches hidden somewhere in the house and there's a creepy boyfriend who wants to get to it this is fun it's very schlocky 60s stuff cool cool uh, next, Sledgehammer, which is the very first shot-on-video slasher movie, oh. uh, and it is completely surreal. There's it, it starts out with like this woman locking her young son, was like you know, preteen son, in a closet, and then she goes to cheat on her husband with this guy. They're like in some remote cabin, and for some reason, she brought the kid with her. And then locked him in a closet to so he wouldn't bother them <laughs> while they're having sex. And then they get killed by a sledgehammer. Someone comes and just sledgehammers them to death. And then we cut forward, I don't know how many years. I think it's maybe like 20 or 30 years. And then a whole bunch of really obnoxious people show up in the house. And they're incredibly <laughs> obnoxious for a while. And then uh, they get sledgehammered. <laughs> <laughs> You know. (laughs) Also, there are ghosts. (laughs) It's totally surreal. I don't really know how it worked. Like, the kid, I guess, is supposed to be the murderer, except he's not a kid. Except sometimes he is. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Also, the Wraith.
1: Oh, I I thought of another... Just something I wanted to add when you asked me about how they live compares to Squid Game. Okay. The main character in both is... As every man as I've ever seen,
0: nice the Squid okay. game
1: guy is very very every man he's very even a similar background he worked at a car plant that shut down right. um, that's why he's broke and poor and yeah so there's they have similar main characters
0: I wouldn't be surprised if they took influence from they live Because I mean it's such a major document now
1: it could have could have. <laughs>
0: Uh, so next one, The Wraith, which is... I, I told you a bit about this one when I was watching it because it has such a bizarre setup. It's about an alien ghost supercar, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so like I, at the beginning, there's like a bunch of just traveling lights, like balls of light just speeding down the highway. And then at a four-way intersection, four of them collide and they turn into a supercar. <laughs> All right. And then it goes and gets vengeance. Uh, there's a shirtless Charlie Sheen in between. We've got Clint Howard with gigantic hair as the flag girl in all these uh, drag races. Because <laughs> the, the supercar is getting vengeance against these road pirates <laughs> who drag race people in the desert and steal their car because they cheat. It's, okay. <laughs> it, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty wild. And like they're. They're like uh, holding court and sort of uh, dominating this tiny desert town uh, where they kind of like just do whatever they want. Uh, It's very weird. It's a lot of fun. Super 80s and kind of almost not a horror movie. It's like a lot of car chases, but it's just all of the car chases always end in deadly, fiery explosion. It's kind of great. Uh, Next, The Velocipastor, which you have seen.
1: (laughs) Oh, I've seen Velocipastor at least twice.
0: I've seen Velocipastor at least six times. Uh, (laughs) So for those who have not seen it, Velocipastor is a movie about a priest who goes to China and cuts his hand on an enchanted uh, dinosaur tooth and then... Sometimes turns into a dinosaur or a velociraptor and eats bad people
1: ninjas he eats ninjas
0: there's a lot of ninjas uh some there's also that pimp that he eats uh Frankie oh my Mer- God,
1: Frankie mermaid, Why do they call
0: me Frankie mermaid
1: because <laughs> you're swimming in bitches uh
0: it's great, it's incredibly low budget like most people will picture a certain thing with the synopsis i gave but picture something much lower rent than whatever you were imagining
1: (laughs) and then picture something cheaper than that
0: yeah i mean there is literally the first big special effect in the movie is uh, a car explosion and (laughs) we see the priest react to it and then we cut to it and it's just a spot that says burning car vfx (laughs) so good it's it's really fun. It's very self-aware. It's like a micro-budget movie that makes the micro-budget a feature. Really oh, fun. When the,
1: when the raptor finally comes out.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> it's as perfectly cheap as you could hope.
1: Oh, it's amazing.
0: Uh, I also watched Don't Go in the Woods, which I've been telling you about a bit. It's one of my absolute favorite early slasher movies. It's a James Bryan who worked with Renee Harmon quite a bit and has kind of a similar sensibility. All right. A uh, very alien use of cinematic language. And it's just about this ridiculously populated spot of very remote woods.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> People like, just keep going
0: there? So it's literally don't go in the woods. And remember when we had don't go in the house, we were talking about... Um, ghost house oh,
1: how they just kept going into the house yeah there was this nothing is keeping them there they just went there
0: and this is that this is a hundred percent that because like there's no reason <laughs> for all of these people to be in this remote patch in the woods and there's so many of them like all separately just tons of people randomly out in just total wilderness there's no paths there's no camping and so many of them that at various different parts they literally accidentally collide with each other and <laughs> somehow they keep randomly encountering the bad guys lair it's like it moves in space cuz they just keep happening upon it it's amazing <laughs> so nice,
1: good nice nice
0: i love it uh also really great lo-fi synth score very buzzy a lot of boahs oh okay. <laughs> love that shit uh, next, Planet of the Vampires, which is uh, <laughs> probably the oldest one I've watched in the bunch uh, this month. It's a 1965 sci-fi horror, which I think was probably a major, major influence on Alien. Okay. Uh, it's like, So it's a Mario Bava film, and it's like him doing a horror episode of Original Series Trek. It, it has totally the aesthetic of, like, a Trek episode crossed over with a 60s hammer horror. Okay. So, like, it, it, the it's this uh, bunch of space explorers, and they land on this planet. And there's two ships, and one ship, uh, they lose contact with them. And when they get back to the ship, everybody's dead except a couple guys who are missing. And then those guys show up and there's something weird about them. It's because they're possessed bodies and they're just dead bodies uh, being possessed by the spirits that take over the, or that uh, live on this planet. Uh, and they find a really old derelict spaceship with huge dead alien skeletons, uh, very much like the space jockey in Alien and just this rusted out hulk of a ship uh, very, very alien uh, in, in that stuff. But pretty right. cool. Cool, cool. Uh, next, The Borrower. <laughs> Such a banger.
1: <laughs> oh, is this the one? <laughs> well, we're gonna, you're going to you t- you tell it. You tell it. <laughs> okay.
0: So this was the follow-up to Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Same director. And it's weirdly a grungy, uh, fairly realistic for the most part, uh milieu, it's set mostly within the unhoused population of Los Angeles, kind of like they live. Except it's about an alien mass murderer who in, in the opening sequence we see him just in a white room with a bug man who's like, listen, uh, because of your crimes, we're sentencing you to the worst uh sentence imaginable. We've devolved you to a human being and you're gonna have to live on Earth. No, <laughs> And so it's a cloned body and it's not totally stable and they put him on earth and immediately he gets into a confrontation with some Hicks and his head explodes. (laughs) And then he just has to keep tearing people's heads off and putting them on his own body so that he can get around for a while. And, (laughs) and the first one that he steals is Tom Tolles who played Otis or Otis in uh, Henry.
1: I, I, just i have this image in my head of what this movie is but then you keep telling me that it's the guy who did henry portrait of a serial killer and that just blows my image of this movie out of the water
0: it's so wild i i absolutely love it (laughs) uh i watched dr sleep which is the shining sequel that came out in 2019 Oh
1: yeah, I've heard of that one too. Um I remember when people were talking about it, but then I completely forgot about it until just this moment.
0: <laughs> I read the book when it came out whenever that was, like probably a decade ago now, and I was really mixed on it, but the movie is better than the book, I feel. What's most interesting is that it blends the book with the Kubrick movie because uh like famously Stephen King was very unhappy with the shining like the kubrick version okay so his sequel to the shining is based on his book and is not a sequel to the movie what's really interesting is that they kind of blend it so they make it very much a sequel to the kubrick movie and they use a lot of uh the visual design of it and uh change plot elements but just enough so that it fits uh it's interesting but it's incredibly long uh, it is full three hours. Ooh. Uh, it's about a gang of rich RVing psychic vampires who eat children. Uh, right. It doesn't take place at the Overlook, uh, although there is a couple sequences at it. Uh, it's interesting, but it is super long and it probably helps to be a really big Stephen King fan because it's so Stephen Kingy. <laughs> oh, really? It's got his messiness. Uh, it, it really captures the messiness of a Stephen King novel. All right. Next, Mausoleum, where in, in the opening sequence, there's this girl who's mourning her mother, and she's supposed to go live with her aunt, and she doesn't want to, so she runs away, and she goes into a mausoleum, and the mausoleum is just full of this uh, incredible purple and green light, and she becomes possessed, but it doesn't take effect for 20 years. Okay. And then 20 years later, she just, you know, her eyes start glowing green and she just starts killing people and she becomes a demon. Uh, Pretty fun gore effects, lots of colorful lighting, much like Retribution. Uh, There's a fun trip to the Promenade Mall, uh, which is now a dead mall. So it's kind of cool to see this classic 80s mall. Right on. Uh, Next, Three Dead Trick-or-Treaters, which is a Canadian horror anthology, quite recent. Uh, I think also 20, 2017, 2018. Uh, extremely low budget. Uh, very obscure. This has less ratings on IMDb than phobe. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's sort of weird. It's like four different horror stories. It's about this guy. He's a paper boy, but he looks like a, a Brownsville hipster. And he's he finds these graves and each of them has a story on it and he reads the stories and the stories are, uh, the, the sequences, uh, but it has zero dialogue, uh, not a word of dialogue in the entire movie. It's all just based on images, which feels gimmicky. There's a lot of places that there should be dialogue and there isn't. So it just seems weird. Uh, and it does make it kind of hard to follow at times. Uh, but you know, kind of an interesting experiment anyway uh next carnage which is an andy milligan movie it's basically andy milligan doing poltergeist although i would say it's more like american horror story (laughs) because it's got kind of a goofy uh love story element that's weird very very nihilistic though in in the way that andy milligan tends to be and so much talking just so goddamn much talking uh, oh, gosh. It's, so like the opening scene is is like is sort of a blast. It's, it's much more than you would normally get in an Andy Milligan film right away. There's this married couple and they're dancing and in like this house. And then for some reason, the husband shoots the wife and then shoots himself. Just like shoots her in the head and shoots himself it's like, whoa, what, what the hell was that? And then. It cuts to a new couple moving into the same house, and then they're just being terrorized by the ghosts of this couple who were involved in the murder-suicide. And there's just so much talking, and I don't know why. <laughs> uh, you need to be a diehard Andy Milligan head to to get into this one. and you, I don't think you've seen any of his stuff yet. So
1: I, I don't think I have. Uh,
0: this is a more advanced Andy Milligan. Not a good one to start with now another great one amityville nineteen ninety two It's about time <laughs> this is my favorite amityville movie. Have you seen any of the amityville movies
1: um i saw God, is that the same franchise as the conjuring mm
0: sort of i mean like they're they're not really the same franchise but like the warrens were involved with the real life amityville which is you know it's a hoax uh the the whole george lutz thing uh but like the very first one was like a really big 70s horror movie Oh okay okay uh but like it's an incredibly long-running series there's like 30 or 40 movies in the series now oh wow and the Uh, I guess it sort of depends on what you consider canon. Uh, Amityville 92 is the fifth or sixth one. And by this point, the series had become about cursed objects. Like they just weren't even at the house anymore. It's just things that were sold that had once been in the house and now they're all cursed. And so they're cursing other people. Okay. Like the previous one, there's a cursed lamp. Uh, I saw it on TV as a kid and it's always kind of stuck with me. It's about an evil demon possessed clock that controls time and space. And there's this uh, architect guy who buys it and, you know, mounts it on the, the mantle in his suburban tract home, and then it takes over the house. Nice. Like, it can de-age people, it can pause time, it can make time speed up, uh, cool. it infects the walls of the house with clockwork somehow. It's, <laughs> it's pretty zany. It's a lot of fun.
1: Nice, nice.
0: And the very last one is The Stepfather, which is based on John List.
1: Oh, dear. Oh, yes, yes.
0: So very interesting. You warned me about this. (laughs) It's about John List uh, a few years before they caught him.
1: When he was living his second life.
0: Exactly. After
1: slaughtering his entire family.
0: Right. So for the audience, uh, John List is a very famous family annihilator. And so this movie is Terry O'Quinn as uh, their John List analog. He was the sheriff in Silver Bullet. Okay, yeah. And he's in all sorts of stuff. But uh, at the beginning of the film, it opens with him having just uh, annihilated the whole family and he's just cleaning up and then he leaves. And then it catches up with him. Uh, about a year later when he's starting with a new family. So it's him as the stepfather to this new family, and he's slowly starting to unravel again.
1: Oh, uh, yes.
0: It's very, very good. Uh, quite interesting. Uh, it, Terry O'Quinn is excellent in it. Uh, and And it's interesting to see them playing with a lot of the same social factors that – Really did cause all of the list killings. Like they, they do sort of have the same social commentary about the financial issues and the whole family value stuff that drove him. Uh-huh. It's cool, and also it was made in Vancouver, which is oh, neat. neat. Neat, right yeah. on. So that's all of them. Uh, which of those fifteen do you figure? Uh,
1: good lord, um, there's well, there's a lot. If, if you had to. <laughs> If you had to pick three that you think I would like, that I would be the most interested in. Okay. Like, or that I would most likely enjoy. Um,
0: uh, I would say Amityville 92, The yeah. Borrower, and WNUF.
1: Oh, Okay. Um, or maybe stepfather stepfather on there too. yeah
0: stepfather would so, like that's the argue one it, it would either be stepfather w and uf like there's a it's a really good lineup this week <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um oh gosh y- you picked the exact ones i thought you were going to pick <laughs> and the ones i was already considering <laughs> so uh
0: oh. any further questions to narrow down i don't know I, I i watched all these movies pretty recently i got thoughts on all of them
1: all right what sort of
0: vibe are you feeling
1: Ah, gosh. Well, I want to contrast whatever uh, we pick for the main feature, but I don't know what that's going to be. Oh, I do know what that's going to be probably, but... Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so... um, what,
0: Well, we could not pause sure. and go over to choose the other one first.
1: Let's do that, and then I'll right. come back here.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, so this... Uh, this next week that we do is going to be the last one that we record before Halloween, isn't it? Uh
0: yes, I believe so. so Although we'll that... still do one more Spooky Stacks episode since uh uh I'll, it, it will still be middle of the week when we record the next time.
1: Okay, so so we we've got two Spooky Stacks still going.
0: Yes, cuz uh like we'll be recording next on uh the the 26th. Which leaves five days of Halloween
1: left five more days of halloween
0: Halloween Halloween, halloween.
1: all right well, um I want to watch th- i'm not I'm not gonna even go into this whole thing i I don't think I've ever seen the very first Halloween
0: right, so I want to
1: yeah, and uh. And I wanted to watch at least one must-see Halloween movie that I hadn't seen already. And the only other one I could think of was The Shining, which I don't think is on here, is it?
0: It's not on here, but I certainly do have it. Okay. Uh, I kind of treat it more as a December film. I watch it every December.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Well, let's let's do Halloween then for the main feature.
0: All right. Halloween um, rules.
1: Keeping in Halloween is with the perfect. Whole... In keeping with the whole John Carpenter thing, we've sort of, sort of, kind of inadvertently got going.
0: Yeah, well, I'm watching all of them because they're so good. Up to (laughs) They Live, they're pretty flawless. We're heading into territory where there's some that are not great.
1: All right, so I guess so so for contrast
0: with that. Yeah. Uh, well, like Halloween is very tight, very fast paced. Uh, but it's also very, very serious. Mm. So I would say that Stepfather doesn't really contrast with that.
1: No, no, you don't. You don't take a humorous take on John List. I don't think John List ever took. Did he ever laugh?
0: <laughs> Probably not. This movie does have more fun to it than you'd figure. It's fairly intense, but it is also kind of like it, it, it's it got kind of a, a trash movie Uh, aesthetic at times it it does have that energy even though it's fairly smart and takes its or takes its subject seriously but it it has that energy but yeah it, it is definitely a more serious picture uh the borrower is very zany amityville is it's super 90s like you know, it has 1992 in the title, and it has 92 just baked into every frame. That interior decor, like you got one of those glass cube walls, of course, in their of house. Course. Uh, there and like that. That one's just like pure 1992 distilled into a, a movie about a tract house and an evil clock. Uh, WNUF, in a very similar sense, it's pure 1987. TV broadcast, like you're experiencing it exactly as, like so much of it triggered my nostalgia. Even though they're new commercials that I'd never seen before, I felt like, oh yeah, I remember that commercial from my childhood. And like, no, of course I didn't. And of course, the borrower, I mean, that's just so zany. And <laughs> just like the head explosion, all of the different heads he puts on, uh, the the police tracking him and like. Try, figure like getting the clues, like why did they take the head from the first crime scene, and then the head shows up at another crime scene, and there's another <laughs> headstone. It's like, okay, something is fucking really strange going on here. Uh, yeah. All
1: right. Well, um, I'm thinking, the, I'm thinking the borrower then.
0: But all right. And that's to put- John McNaughton. That's uh, get get uh. His first and second films.
1: Yeah, yeah, but let's put Amityville in the inactive stacks because I feel like I'm gonna want to come to it at some point.
0: It's very likely it will just end up uh, in in like uh, the the spooky stacks for next week. I, I, I've oh had yeah, that's a lot right. Of, I I kind of have had a lot of those sort of just uh, show up on those because it's I'm just shuffling stuff around all the time while oh, okay. I'm pulling out horror movies lately.
1: Nice, nice.
0: All right, so next week
1: we got a solid lineup.
0: Hell yeah! So next week, John Carpenter's fucking classic Halloween, just so good. Uh,
1: Yeah, baby. And I'm gonna do that all the time. You've been warned.
0: (laughs) And The Borrower, Uh, just a crazy, crazy film that deserves more recognition.
1: Right on.
0: Okay, Uh, so that's all we got for this week. Uh, uh any last thoughts before we depart
1: depart i'm not ready to die yet
0: Must no. leave this mortal plane and <laughs> <Well, laughs> leave this that, podcast plane
1: yeah that'll work till next week
0: keep watching the stacks